says there's no such thing as free lunch? With ForkSpot, it's happy hour every hour. ForkSpot is a new food ordering app started right here in LA that allows you to order food in advance straight from the app and pick it up to take home with ease. On top of that, ForkSpot has a reward system for every restaurant you visit in their app, which means that if you visit the same restaurant five times, you'll get $5 worth of credit. Plus, ForkSpot has an exclusive partnership with these restaurants to offer you up to 30% off in discounts when you dine there. Right now, ForkSpot is active in LA and San Diego, but soon coming to Seattle, Chicago, and New York, lesser cities. Listeners of our show can use promo code MEEKLY, M-E-E-K-L-Y, to get a $15 credit immediately. That's free food. We've used it. No exclusions, no minimums, just $15 to gorge yourself and feel great about it at your favorite restaurant using the ForkSpot app. Available for download now in the App Store, on Google Play, or at ForkSpot.com. That name again is ForkSpot. Now on with the show. I'm not letting you do this again. ever told you, youngins, the legend of Hail Fishman? Yes. Well, how about the Ballad of Angeline? Yeah, stop spitting my mouth. I'm sorry, little dude. It's hard keeping all these tall tales of local celebritized straight when you're as clearly cowboy accented as I am. But I bet you never heard the life and adventures of the L.A. Meekly boys. Goodness, no. I don't think I have. Yep, yep, yep. That's a story of good friends, the good book, and a river of virgin blood. Well, I'm glad my mom and Paul keep making you babysit me. Yeah, those boys were loved by the whole city. They couldn't drive down the street without getting honked at by fans hollering at them to use their turn signal and learn how to drive. They must have been mighty popular. Okay. Those two had made it. Until they got their hands on a bad batch of sarsaparilla. Oh, gosh! That stuff drove them crazy and gave them mad cowboy disease. Yes, sir, it went viral quicker than any tweet they ever made. It also went neural and drove them crazy up in them their brains. From there, they took the next logical step and got their hands on a barrel of radioactive cuckoo juice, which they immediately poured onto Knott's Berry Farm, of course, which made it grow and grow until the whole planet became Western-themed and cowboys in Inherited the Earth. I didn't want to be a cowboy. I was head of the Mars Exploration Program at JPL. Now they got me cooking beans out of an old boot for a bunch of prospectors. I tell you, if I ever see those two meekly boys again, I'm gonna gun them down until they're a couple pieces of Swiss cheese. I'm gonna brand their little butts with a flaming Casper mattress and cook them into a Blue Apron style meal. I'm gonna braid their hair. I'm gonna tie their limbs to four separate horses and tie those horses to four separate oxen and pull them apart until the cows come home. Then I'll tie them to the cows. I'm gonna skin them alive and turn their skin into a belt for my cows. Wow. I'd hate to be those boys stumbling upon this campfire in a predictable fashion. Hey, it's them. Oh my gosh. I am your biggest fan. Two boys with a flawless history that I have never said a bad word about. Will you two sign my gun? Well, certainly. I am Greg, after all. And this here is my associate, Daniel. Pleasure to meet you. You two enjoy your evening of storytelling by the campfire. We will be leaving now. Get along, little Daniel. Yeehaw to you both. 
But if they ever set foot here again... You're yellow. Yep. 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 at 69 <laughs> the sixth sexiest number 64 that's when you have something stuck in your stomach and you're lurched on the bed and like and your partner is completely unaware of what's happening because you're scared to wake her up because she's like i gotta take it to er again because i could be dead from that kidney stone oh yeah yeah the kidney stone that i thought i caused <laughs> by feeding you a hot dog <laughs> that was my appendicitis oh but you somehow yeah, yeah. also caused yeah. my kidney stone keep having this coffee and beer don't have water no water no vegetables <laughs> just bread and meat it's my diet. I'm a Viking. I'm a young, frumpy, balding Viking. I'm a Viking without the hair, the prowess. <laughs> what? The ships. What's that last thing you said? Uh, <laughs> ships. So, hello. Hi. Hello, Meeklings. We're going to start that? We already started it. Oh, We're, sh- uh, shoot. Oh, shoot. I shoot forgot to register the trademark. Open- <laughs> the patent office. Joe Rogan beat us to it. Meeklings, it's a tough thing. You don't work out. You don't get it. <laughs> Speaking of beer and hot dogs. Welcome to well, Joe I, Rogan's life. I Welcome to episode 63 of Helly Meekly. As we said, it's the sixth sexiest number and there's things in Greg's stomach and all that. How do we, what do we normally do before we get into the listener question? We no, no, no. We talk about a thing of the month. We did a thing in the Don't past month. point at me. You do that a lot and it's rude and I learned manners as prove a kid. It. Prove it. Prove, prove that it's rude. <laughs> prove that what I'm doing right now is rude, you idiot. <laughs> you rube, you country bumpkin. Tell me. <laughs> As my finger is in your eye. It's now March. Yes. The last month was February. The February. Month of, the month of love, the month of 63. Mm-hmm. What did you do in the past month that was particularly good my cool. vocal warm-ups are going great you were practicing for the camera and not even paying attention not for to the me. microphone though you kept your mouth closed the whole time it was weird it was all in the eyes like silent films i went to uh walt's barn which is walt disney's barn which has been recreated in griffith park which is a stone's throw from travel town museum it's just a bunch of walt disney stuff and recreated little miniature trains and some full-size kind of train cars and stuff okay so walt disney's barn is that where what is what what why did he have a barn is that a it cute like, word for the shed he started drawing mickey yeah. mouse in i think okay. i don't know if it's the shed he started drawing mickey mouse and it might be i didn't read enough of the plaques that were there i was just i saw ward kimball's bifocals and i freaked out and there's a guy with <laughs> you acoustic... could have put them on and read those signs but no touching don't touch and there's also a guy playing acoustic he had acoustic guitar and he's playing for tips for everybody and he was just doing different it was roy disney it was roy disney and he's like please i my i we're losing we're hemorrhaging money every day come Thousands visit my cabin dollars. i have a cabin my, i know my brother had this but i have a cabin it was fantastic it's a little it's like a little miniature train thing that's dedicated only to disney and ward kimball and all those it's either frank or ollie but one of those guys has a little space there too you but it's stan and ollie Yes, Dan and Ollie. You're so good at word association, it blows my mind that you can hear me say one thing and you're like, it's the, it's the here's the thing that that reminds me of. Good. Hmm, the good place. <laughs> Anyways, the guy playing acoustic guitar was playing different Disney songs and he played oh. uh, Grim Grinning Ghosts and I almost like had an out-of-body experience. On acoustic <laughs> became guitar, a ghost. Really I became a hitchhiking ghost. Yeah, anyways, let me give you the... I fainted from your boring story. <laughs> Thanks for bringing those gongs. Time is up. <laughs> My turn. Loser. The barn is open on the third Sunday of each month from 11 to 3 p.m. Parking is free. Admissions is free, but they accept donations, which means it's free. Uh, but no, please give them money. There, there's a really great thing going on there. Give all your money to uh, the Disney Corporation. Yeah, yeah. They, Work they, hard for it to give it to Disney. Because everything they do is free. <laughs> That uh, place runs on dreams, so. <laughs> I wouldn't say I'm a train nerd, but I certainly have an interest in trains. We're uh, going to get to a train nerd a little bit later in oh, this cool. episode. Okay. Is it me? Yeah, it's, it's a, my third local celebrity is you. Hey. <laughs> so you want to hear my thing now? I guess. I guess. 
my turn. <laughs> now uh, it is the time that I talk. Burr, 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 burr. <laughs> the little bugle voice come out. My thing of this month is um, the Duck Pond. Oh my God. Los Encinos. Jeez, Los Louise. Encinos in, uh, in Encino. The park that we've talked about being haunted. We've talked about it bef- a lot, yeah. many times before. You can't It might have been my thing of the month before. <laughs> right on Ventura Boulevard mm-hmm. in Encino. And it's the place where I believe like when the Spanish first found the valley, like yeah. that's what they saw. And they're like, let's go there. Yeah. Let's get some water. Let's shoot all these ducks and get some water. <laughs> so let's go play Duck Hunt, the original. You're Catholic now. You're Catholic now. Catholic you're duck. Catholic now. Everybody, they'll go to your seat. You're a Catholic. <laughs> you're a Catholic. <laughs> an old Bible written in Spanish. Which there is. Handwritten. A, there is an old Bible on the floor next yeah, to us for some reason. Weird. Just in New case. New Testament. <laughs> God's good this time. He's back and better than ever. <laughs> Kill um, me once. Shame on literally everybody. Shame on Jew. <laughs> as they always tell me. It's a park. It's a state park. It's definitely not a national park. It's, it's a, a state park. park. It's a historic park, but they're, I told you, the Spanish. But the, the there's these two houses. There's a tall house and a long house. And you can go look in there. Normally, they have a, a feeder. Uh-huh. Like, you can buy money. But you can buy money. Yes, you can buy... You wish. The ducks love money. <laughs> More so than food. Just give us money. Just cash instead, please. You can buy food to feed the ducks. And they all swarm you and you feed them. Cool. And it's uh, just a park to hang out. But they also have this blacksmith hut in the back. Mm-hmm. And on the third Sunday of every month, a blacksmith is there. And he's making stuff. And, he, like, you know, yeah. churning the thing. Fire goes up. Yeah. When we were there, he was making a tomahawk. Oh, yeah, you were telling me. Well, he he had like a railroad spike or something oh. and he was turning it into a tomahawk. So he would have to heat it up yeah. and then like for, for five seconds, yeah. like smush it down and then have to heat it up again and then like level yeah. it out and then smush it down. He was very knowledgeable and, uh, cool. it was, and, and he had all these other things he's already made like skulls and like all these little figurines and bottle openers and stuff. And uh, so I hit him over the head with a crowbar. And <laughs> I made a skull now. <laughs> I could do it in much quicker. <laughs> they can't be going there because on the third Sunday of the month they're going to Walt's Barn because no, my recommendations no, 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 no. tend to be a little bit better. No, more, if more there's one friendly. thing you can do, <laughs> there's not skulls everywhere at Walt's Barn, just <laughs> Skull, grim grinning Skulls ghosts. and hungry... Skulls and hungry ducks. We don't do that. <laughs> They're Daffy ducks. <laughs> but, or whichever one is the Disney duck. Donald. Which, Daffy's Looney Tunes and it's much funnier. But then uh, there's also a restaurant that they put there semi-recently that's pretty, it's a little, it's kind of expensive, but yeah. it's good food and you can sit there and watch over. When we, we ate there, it was freezing cold, but that's part of the experience. experience. <laughs> I this get, is how the, the Spanish explorers would have eaten. <laughs> if you get cold, go in the blacksmith hut. <laughs> what do you want? He literally has the heat of a volcano in there. It's just sitting there naked sweating. <laughs> you want to see a tomahawk? Well, <laughs> welcome to my dungeon. I've been going there forever, but it's a it's a nice park to go to. Yeah. To see some history and also just be in a park. It's nice. And usually they do around Halloween, the haunted duck pond. You were, where that, they, you were in love with this I haunted. love it because they would show like Phantom of the Opera yeah. and they show like, speaking of Disney, the dancing skeletons oh, the dancing and all skeletons, that. Yeah. And, and not like, scary. Turns uh, out not a horror uh, movie. Uh, I was a little freaked out by that. <laughs> my body's going to do what? <laughs> I could also be used as a what? <laughs> I think that that's your brand. It's like, haunted Uh uh-huh duck pond oh (laughs) crap (laughs) murderous yes blacksmith (laughs) but that is the thing that place is supposedly haunted there's a room one of the rooms in the long house people have like felt stuff and then in the tall house people have seen like little kids in the upper windows and supposedly there was a murder in the blacksmith hut also Mm. but another time more importantly i was once there when they had a sheep herding demonstration (laughs) and there were all these sheep and a dog running around i mean it was great i bet you love that oh Oh, Greg. <laughs> the only thing that would have made it better if they were haunted sheep. <laughs> I'm going to pitch at you a new show. It's comedians in cars chasing cold spots. <laughs> Jerry Seinsfeld. Oh, my God. Because that's kind of scary. 
Anyway, that scary was, Seinfeld. Is that what you're looking for? <laughs> That's what I was thinking. <laughs> I forgot you could do it to their first name. So that was last month. Let's yeah. get into this month. We have a listener question from a new, not a new listener. One of our first listeners. Well, 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 well. I may just be a little cowboy. <laughs> but this one is from at Ada G. Ruiz on Instagram. You might remember her from the field trip episode to, to the Museum. Peterson Museum. Yeah. And you might remember her from Greg's life. <laughs> how did you two meet? That's our, not you and Ada. Oh, that's how we met. Yeah. <laughs> we just told me answer the question. You and me, how'd we meet? Tell me. Right now. Look at me in the eyes and tell me. We were taking a... Don't, don't look at your notes. <laughs> Do you remember what year before we get into it? Well, I graduated from high school in 1847. You're a ghost. I'm a, <laughs> I'm a haunted dust. I graduated high school in 2006. So it was 2007. Yeah, it... I think it was because like, I fled the United States in 2008. I think it was two years into college for me when I met you. 2006, 2007. It was my first year of college. I think it was, yeah. Yeah, at, at the second semester, first year. Right. And it was a screenwriting class, an introduction yes. to screenwriting class. We got paired up in well, it. Well, there's a group of four and we got into the same group. Right. And I didn't like you because you, you showed your short film, <laughs> yeah, which I was brought- pretty good, but I still was like, who's. Like, we're going to do this instead of me learning how to write Toxic Avenger or whatever I wanted yeah, to do. Yeah, I know. What, yeah. who, what was I thinking? Action did it. Right. And then you're like, well, I'll do that too. Yeah. And then you, I'm sure you realize a mistake. Uh, my big That's fear... That's what separated me from action. <laughs> my big fear was that there was going to be a pattern of it and I didn't have one and I was already right. getting mad for no reason. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> At the same time, why would I Why would I think... I had so much confidence. You had a lot of confidence. Yeah, you were confidence. a film student. They have they have misplaced confidence. Now I'm a graduated film student. They have no confidence. <laughs> Nothing scraping uh, the bottom. But anyway, you wrote a... This is a, a tale as old as time. Mm-hmm. You wrote a script called Bonnie and Clyde Meet the Wolfman and I thought the concept of it was so funny that I chased you down after class. You didn't Bru- chase me me down after class but we did talk after class but the first time we started getting along was we had to write notes on each other's scripts yeah. and then we met each other when we were passing for other classes <laughs> in the same hall and you're like oh i have your thing i'm like oh i have your thing uh-huh. and it was like raining like i always remember like the, it started to come down i remember a rainbow I remember the rain my heart. <laughs> yeah, no, when you started trading, you started laughing, and then I saw you at class, and I'm like, oh, that guy's pretty funny, and then it just Yeah, and then it, snowballed. It, it, it turned into we would take notes watching 30 Rock, yeah. and then come back to school the next day and compare notes on what we thought was, was funny. was so funny. Yeah, and I don't even know how it blossomed. Through. I would follow you around everywhere. We would follow each other around everywhere, because yeah. we had, a, there was a third person in our party named action and we he was our mutual friend and then we just started hanging out from there right because i remember we went to he invited me to his house and i went and you were there yeah and it was like darth vader being in the <laughs> in the dining hall. I, I tried to shoot you immediately <laughs> please take a seat you don't have to shoot me anymore you don't have to go home but you can't shoot me here yeah no and then we just we kept hanging out you went to france yeah. For a while, we would email, and you. I, I found postcards that you would send me, which were really funny. Yeah, but you also, before I got, I made you get a webcam so that we That's could. That's right. Web I bought a webcam <laughs> to web we chat with see you. Each other. <laughs> it was such young love. Yeah, it, it was. really was. I, I mean, I still have a comedy crush on you, but when we met, you were like the funniest. You were the funniest person I had met, and you were also the only person. I would find out later, but you had you wrote when you didn't need to and you're the only person to finish the script I'm like so when it says do you're like I just wrote one <laughs> I wrote one because I wanted to write one and now I can't get you write anything but, but boy was I confident back then we need that Daniel back <laughs> he could get uh, more than three people writing us listener questions <laughs> In, and then after college it really kicked into gear yeah. where we would drive around saying hey we should do comedy hey yeah. we should also do a podcast yeah. and then three years later we did we d- <laughs> 
three years of what you think would be planning, but was no planning whatsoever. <laughs> we were just practicing talking. <laughs> <laughs> and then a month of just like, we're going to do it. We're going to do it. And then five years of why did we do that? Why have we started this? Why did we ever do comedy? Yeah. What, what why did doing? I go to college? Why did, why, did, why did I go to college? <laughs> like, I think, honestly, the only things I got out of it was me. I met you. I read a couple good books. And I, I like... <laughs> learned how to read a book that was all i got for all that money and then i got my master's in library I science it, i'm like why did i do that <laughs> that's why i made those shirts for you that said i went to college and all i got was daniel <laughs> i'd like to write daniel uh, day lewis at the end of that like, <laughs> all I, was, I got was my left foot <laughs> yeah so that's yeah. how we met that's the origin story which we've told on other podcasts and in other interviews yeah cindy arvina's podcast from brouhaha she had a podcast called you do what and we went on that to talk yeah. about boy time so yeah. we talk about this is the only podcast that matters so this is the <laughs> definitive telling of the story Story. Any other version you're hearing, like that New Testament on the floor? Yeah, yeah, Not yeah. real. No, no. This, this is, we start, we're rebooting the franchise. <laughs> Everything else isn't canon anymore. Yeah, this time we're Puerto Rican. <laughs> anyway, let's get to what we're going to be. T- oh, yeah. Uh, by the way, send Jesus. us more questions. Oh, yeah. We need more questions. We everybody. need more questions to answer. Uh, yeah. We can't keep asking. We can't keep, uh, keep answering. We can't, ca- we can't, ca- keep, ca- 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 we can't ca- keep answering Emilio Ranga's questions. Yeah. And Joanna Linkhorst's questions. Or Brian Cox's questions. And Ada G. Ruiz's questions. Yeah. We could. We could do a few more, but yeah, <laughs> we really like everybody that name we just said. So yeah. please keep sending more. Questions. Please do, but also Bottom other, list, though. other <laughs> let it be known. Um, Shuffle to the back. Yeah, yours are made of lead. Um, anybody listening, if you have any sort of question about us, about the LA. show, about LA, anything, yeah. we'll answer the question. Send us to us on Instagram at LA. If we get a bunch, Twitter or email. If we get a bunch, we could do, do a whole, two at a time, which yeah. I would love to do, or we could just do a whole episode. Oh, yeah, I don't have to do research yet. I love that. Are we ready to start this thing? Oh, yeah, let's start this. So let's get into what's on this month's menu. We're going to be talking about some wacky people. Some cuckoos. Some... <laughs> Kaylee <some> Cuoco's. <laughs> We're going to be talking about local celebrities. Yeah, and I'm not just talking about that really friendly Trader Joe's cashier. Yeah. I'm talking about people everybody. you might know also. <laughs> These people have LA Weekly articles written about them. Yeah, you. and now they have LA Meekly articles not written about them. Just blog posts. <laughs> just uh, pictures on Instagram. Pictures on Instagram with quotes that don't have nothing to do with them on no. them. It's right on their forehead. That's where I like to put it. <laughs> so I was pretty excited about about this because I had a list in my head. You beat me to Angeline, obviously, but I had a list in my head of people. And as, as I was going through it, I'm like, okay, it turns out that's not a local celebrity. It's just a crazy person. Oh, that's a cult leader. Oh, this is that. But yeah. then I stumbled upon somebody that I've been wanting to talk about for a long time and I didn't know how where he would fit in and yeah. fit in. Perfectly. Well, the thing is, you say, oh, I can't do that person. He's just a crazy person. As I was saying, most of these people I'm finding out, like, these are all crazy people. They're not right. That boy ain't right. <laughs> that dog don't hunt. <laughs> he can't hunt. <laughs> I was reading a thing about one of my guys and the term harmless crank came up i'm like hmm. that's it yeah harmless that's the key yeah they're harmless but they are off yeah and they're not murderers yeah <laughs> also another thing that i was thinking when i was doing mine i was, I was thinking about a couple of yours without really knowing the stories is that these are people that had to build their own legends yeah like no one's rushing to write yeah. biographies like they're the ones who are letting everyone know their story except us except, <laughs> and here we well, are well, to change the, everything that's the thing it's also a little tricky with these people because their story like i said yeah. some of them are a little bit off it's kind of hard to get the truth yeah out of these people you're hearing it from someone who wants to build up their own right. story so of yeah. course it's going to be like and i was the best and first at everything and that's how i Killed Paul Bunyan. <laughs> it wasn't hard to kill, it turned out. It's a classic crazy. David and Goliath story. Let's get right into okay. it after 20 minutes. Let's get this going. Let's start with the first one. Maybe she was born with it, but maybe it's Angeline. I'm mugging for the camera right now. We're going to make a little, we're going to release a little video of how an LA Meekly episode is made. There's a lot of mugging. <laughs> <laughs> I've stabbed a lot of people. Okay, do that again. I'll give you a reaction. No, I'm going to leave that in. Wow. You want to give me a reaction? Wow. <laughs> 
we can also cut that out. <laughs> I'm so excited to hear about Angeline because I didn't I didn't read the article when it came out, the big one about her, because yeah. I, I knew we were gonna do episode. Yeah. I didn't want to ruin <laughs> I it. I know that's uh, a big part of this of our lives now is like, ooh, this sounds like a juicy story, yeah. but we're gonna do an episode. Yeah, I don't want to do double research. <laughs> so being a local celebrity, like I said, it means that you're just crazy enough for people to notice you, but not crazy enough for a lot of people to notice you. <laughs> it's the sweet spot. You're a brush fire. Yeah. <laughs> you're, a, you're a brush fire on the side of the freeway. <laughs> Take that, Angeline. Uh, but of all the people we're going to talk about tonight, Angeline might be the most well-known of yeah. all of them. And going hand in hand with that sort of eccentricity is the facts, like we were saying, they come out of the mouth of Angeline herself yeah. and what a mouth. So they're not always to be trusted. But this is what we know about Angeline, according to Angeline and those who have known her or followed her for a long time. Uh-huh. She's the test model of Paris Hilton. She's the Model T that became the Mustang that is Kim Kardashian. <laughs> and that isn't to say, I think Angeline is a Model T or that Kim Kardashian is a Mustang. Just be impressed that I can name two types of cars. <laughs> <laughs> Big car and bus. I was, uh, and I do mean bus. Uh, I was thinking like Model T must have come after the Model A. So I'll say Angeline is the Model A, but no, that's not how it works. That's not and how then it I got into this whole thing about reading about Ford. It turns out I have a car. <laughs> so she's the original Hollywood person famous for no other reason than being famous. Yes. Or as she puts it, I'm famous for the magic I possess. Okay. She's a wizard. <laughs> She's an old side witch. Do you want to get into right now before you go any further? The first time you heard or remember seeing Angeline? I, I remember being a really young kid and my mom freaking out. I, I don't know how I know about her, but I remember I haven't, I didn't see her until maybe a few months ago. Okay. And I was following her trying to like, oh, like we yeah. were getting off at the same exit. I was like, I could see Angeline <laughs> and I didn't. And then another time, I've seen her like two times. I saw her on Hollywood Boulevard yeah. and then I saw her, I'll tell you later on where I saw her once but okay. i haven't seen her i've only seen her car yeah yeah yeah. I've but it's her. really exciting yeah no for it's sure the white the pink whale yeah <laughs> <laughs> i remember being a kid and my mom used to we used to drive up sunset to get to beverly hills when she used to work there that's angeline territory yeah it is so we it's would her, it's her, no, her game trail you'll probably get into where her uh, <laughs> her watering hole is an entire boulevard i'd see her, her billboard a lot and be like oh okay and she was just like attractive on to a on a billboard she was attractive right i don't i don't remember i've seen maybe her modern billboards yeah. which she still kind of does but i don't remember ever seeing them as a kid okay i'm older than you i'm a better part of town <laughs> but i remember seeing her on the way to beverly hills and my mom be like look <laughs> like exciting it's really exciting, it's exciting. yeah and, I and you you'll do crazy things to get up close to yeah her. and she knows and that's the magic she possesses. Is it that, you, you want to crash into her? I'm famous for the magic I possess. So that's where we are. So according to her, she was born on January 26, 1962 in Louisville, Kentucky. She's a Louisville slugger? A real knockout. Home run, I mean. Is that the same sport? <laughs> Do you knock people out Model with baseball T. bats? <laughs> or actually, maybe it was somewhere in Idaho that she was born. Wherever it was, oh she says that both her parents died when she was five and she became an orphan. And because of that, I sought the attention of the world through my tricks. Uh, Is she Bob Dylan? <laughs> she's Robert Zimmerman. <laughs> she, <laughs> who's Bob Dylan? <laughs> that desperation for attention led her to create a new persona for herself in 1978 as Angeline or Angeline Lynn. Sometimes she would go by. At the same time, she was actually part of the LA punk scene. Oh, and, really? Yeah. Okay. I didn't know that. Also in 1978, she released a record under the name Baby Blue and then went on to release four records after that. But starting in 1982, she recorded under the name Angeline and the song Kiss Me LA from that album was played regularly on K-Rock. Really? Okay. And the thing is her From music, Rodney the Rock? Ro- what is his name? What is his real Rodney name? Rodney Bing- Bingenheimer? The one, yeah, the one that we saw yeah, we in did the see car him. once. Yeah, oh my God. <laughs> are yeah. you Angeline? No. <laughs> we were on the street in front of Amoeba, Yumi and Melissa, and Melissa looked over and said, is that Rodney Bingenheimer? Ha <laughs> ha. 
that's not what she sounds like. Yeah, it's just that's a, what Rodney sounds like. Yeah. You did. She was possessed by Rodney. Yeah. The she power of Rodney mind. compelled yeah. her because his name did come up. So it must have been. But the thing here's the thing. Her music isn't that bad. Really, like that song in particular. Yeah. Is it, it kind of like Go Go's style punk? So yeah, yeah, it okay. is. I the, I recommend the song My List. My that's List. Go Go's. It really isn't bad. But to get more of a taste of who Angeline is, she says her music is inspired by aliens who communicate it to her telepathically, which won't be the last time you'll hear that from my subjects tonight. That aliens communicate with them telepathically. Whoa. But we've jumped ahead a little too far. We skipped over what Angeline is most famous for. To promote her band's shows, they would put up a three by four black and white poster with Angeline on it. And they found that the image of her was so alluring that people started reacting to it very strongly. It's, everyone was 63-ing on the street. <laughs> and a lot of people would come to their shows and venues would want to have them just based on her, okay. on her look. Like, yeah. we want we want this woman. Yeah, okay. <laughs> One thing to realize early on about this, crazy as she might sound and look, Angeline is incredibly smart and is a pretty shrewd businesswoman. This was the most shocking thing yeah. in reading this is Angeline's personality. She saw how strongly people were reacting to just a small poster of her and she felt she can build on this. From that poster, she decided to put up a six foot tall bus poster for the band. Then she took it to the next level and thought, why promote my band when I could just promote myself? Yeah. So the year, it's not exactly clear. Some say early 80s, some say 1986, some say it was even in the late 70s, but she decided to take out her first billboard. So the billboard was just a 10 foot tall picture of her with the name Angeline on it and the number of her manager, Scott Henning, at the bottom. And I say just a picture of her, but we have to describe what her looks like. Okay. She looks like a Barbie doll, but yeah. with a huge chest. Yes. That's Angeline. She's That's got it. a color of blonde hair that can only be achieved in the 80s. And there's a <laughs> kind lot... of blonde that hurts your eyes to look right. at. All the rest is her favorite color, which is pink. Yeah. A lot of pink. She wasn't trying to sell music anymore. She was just trying to sell the idea of herself. Contact my agent if we'll, you we'll like. We'll get what you into see. that more. Okay. But yeah, it wasn't about the band anymore. It was about Angeline. Okay. Which also was became the name of her band, but it wasn't about that. <laughs> her manager also changed his name to Angeline. Angeline. The one Angeline. <laughs> My name's Angeline. She feels pink is the color that makes everyone happiest and can calm aggression. That's why she went with pink. She says she picked it because one day she put a nine foot pyramid over her head and aligned it north and south. And then she picked up the Egyptian Book of the Dead and was able to read hieroglyphics. And that was when she felt the energy and saw the pink. What? Okay. Like I said, these yeah. people, I can't like they're they're flirting with insanity. Yeah, all of these people. They all Brian will sing it. Right. This first billboard was paid for by an investor named Hugo Maisnick under the condition that they would split the profits generated from this billboard 50-50. I'm guessing those profits they were talking about must have meant any film roles or any endorsements okay. or anything like that. But yeah. really all this sparked was people being curious. What was this billboard for? Who yeah. is this woman? Who is pink? <laughs> <laughs> she described her billboards as a Rorschach test in pink. You see it and you interpret what is this? Yeah. I don't know. What this did lead to though was more billboards. <laughs> that is for sure. She's a billboard salesman? Yeah. <laughs> pink, uh, Angeline's bill. I keep calling her pink. She's not pink. She's just likes the color pink. More billboards, this time bigger billboards, different poses. Some showed her full body. Some showed just her face. Some showed her half naked on a couch. Some showed her posing on a car. Some was just her chest. Oh, God, I'm getting all... <laughs> um, yeah, <that's> 63, <laughs> 63, 63. <laughs> Suddenly, I got to lie down. The billboards, they were all over LA. And her prime, she had around 200 billboards up around town. She said, you kind of get to be a billboard junkie. Another one, another one, bigger, bigger. She briefly had some billboards up in New York, Germany, and England. But uh -huh. she was really only known in LA. And she crowned herself the billboard queen. I'll bow to that. <laughs> Rami Malek is playing the billboard queen. <laughs> The Oscars were now. Yeah, no, I was at the Oscars. I forgot to mention that joke won't age well. No, I think people will remember Bohemian Rap. 
<laughs> in nine years when we're at the Oscars and they're like they're gonna unearth this we can't have them as hosts let's tweet it and then it'll come back to us but nobody ever listens to this podcast yeah. so we're safe if all those people said those things on this podcast uh-huh. like we'd invited them Brian Singer Harvey Weinstein Kevin Hart come on this podcast and say your dirty things no one will hear it so she's the billboard queen um, that was one front and sometimes rear of her publicity the second was her car that's okay. the other thing yeah. she's known for you like we were talking about you could and can still find angeline driving around la on most any given day in a mm. bright pink corvette with the license plate angeline at the coffee bean on hillhurst you'll see her a lot that's where she meets people because we'll get into it okay. like you can have encounters with her that's where she meets them oh so wow that's why she's there all okay, the time go ahead so why a corvette here's what she said barbie had one and that was the american dream <laughs> So I can't argue with that. Yeah, she's, she's not wrong. Those are scientific <laughs> facts. That's American history. We all know it. So she drives around 100 miles a day munching on jelly beans and she gets a new Corvette every 75. What? She Ronald Ray. Which, I was thinking yeah. she embodies the 80s. She gets a new Corvette every 75 to 83,000 miles and puts the old ones up for sale. Right now she's on her ninth or 10th one. She buys them at, Sh- at Community Chevrolet in Burbank and gets them specially painted at a place in North Hollywood. Wow. I dug deep on her. <laughs> Each car has been a slightly different different shade of pink, okay. which is my favorite Procol Harum song. <laughs> One place she says she likes to go to stop to go to the bathroom in an emergency is Jerry's Deli, where I once almost crossed over three lanes of traffic to go see her when wow. I saw her car park. I'm going to burst. What the, what Angelina, the what the hell are you doing on here, Angeline? You got to go to the bathroom? <laughs> As I cut her off to go to the bathroom. <laughs> Will you please sign my pastrami? <laughs> I saw her car parked at Jerry's That's Deli funny. once. I now I know what she was doing at yeah, Jerry's Deli. Greg, pink poop. The different shade every time. <laughs> Depending on the jelly bean sheets, different shade every time. But if this is all publicity to generate publicity for herself, how is she making the money to pay for all of this? You can't just be famous and have money from that. Yeah. Like there needs to be something. There are rumors that she had a rich sugar daddy from Turkey, or maybe an Arab sheik was her sugar daddy. But in reality, she did get into a few movies in tiny roles. She was in Earth Girls Are Easy. Uh-huh. Later oh, on. She was, wasn't she? For like four seconds. I think they said like she's been in this many movies. The combined screen time is like 80 seconds. Oh my- Oh my God. <laughs> and later on was in the music video for We Are All Made of Stars with Moby. Yeah, I remember um, that. She even wrote her own screenplay called The Bra That Ate LA. <laughs> which I'd chase her down to tell her I like that. That is yet to be made, but her billboards have been in way more movies than she has, clocking in at over 35 movies with just her billboards in it. Funny. Her real money comes from hawking her own merchandise, though, and selling the experience of being with Angeline, like yeah. I said. People swarm her wherever she goes for pictures, which is why she'll charge you $25 for one of you with her and her famous flamingo pose uh-huh. which is her legs up um, yeah. very short skirt how much did you charge for that kind of makes me 63 $25 for okay. a picture but here's the 25 one she does the pose but she has a fan that's actually just styrofoam shaped like a yeah. fan and painted pink she has it over most of her face so that's okay. $25 if you want a full faced Angeline that's going to cost you $350 wow for a picture. plus she gets final approval on all photos and you have to delete the ones she doesn't like oh <laughs> I, I mean that, she's making money like, from this yeah, yeah she's making money but also that's like mom behavior but you're right but keep in mind she's like a 70 year old woman at this yeah. point. she's allowed to act like a mom yeah after that she'll most likely lead you to her car where she'll pop the trunk open to show you all the bodies <laughs> she'll reveal a cachet of Angeline hats shirts necklaces posters postcards autographed bras and underwear most all of it is pink and you, you're gonna have to buy something from her oh, she also has a fan club that she claims has a few tens of thousands of members that are charged $20 a year to join she briefly had a magazine called Hot Pink with an exclamation point for the I and now we're out, we are talking about pink also not grammatically correct 
worked, but okay, I'll let that slide. How about just uh, an upside down Spanish uh, <laughs> exclamation point? How can we just do that instead? I feel more comfortable. So she started that in 2005. I don't think it's still around though. She also sells her paintings she's made, which are mostly nudes of herself or her with skulls and skeletons behind them. She also is up to hire to appear at your private event, like how David Fincher hired her to come to his birthday party. Really? Her very likeness, she's willing to license out to you for $10,000 a use. So this is how she's making money. If, yeah. you're, if you're wondering how the, how, this is how the Corvettes are made. <laughs> All of this was managed through her company, Angeline Inc., which was located where the W Hotel now is in Hollywood okay. until 1988 when it had its corporate status suspended. <laughs> so she's definitely a shill, yeah. but she's not a shill like Kim Kardashian is for all sorts of different companies. Angeline refuses to sell out to anybody. Yeah. So she's just a shill for herself. That's Pancrito. That's why she has to charge everyone for everything you want to do with her. It's yeah. a pretty crafty career she's made for herself, a career she says she gets advice for by speaking through a medium with Marilyn Monroe. Her manager is Marilyn Monroe. <laughs> the pinnacle of her self-promotion came in 2003 when every single person you've ever seen in a movie or on TV ran for governor of California, Angeline included. Wow, I don't remember that. I do remember that. So I must have known about her then. Okay. She's Gary Coleman, right? <laughs> oh my God, he did do that, didn't he? Yeah, he did. Hey, a lot of people hey, did. Hey, I voted for him. <laughs> He had some pretty good ideas. <laughs> Her campaign slogan was, we've had gray, we've had brown, now it's time for some blonde and pink. That's funny. Would have been weird if she had become governor, right? Good thing the normal choice of Arnold Schwarzenegger won <laughs> instead. action star. I know. It, is it any weirder that he was it's, the actor? <laughs> she tried her hand at politics again in 2008 when mayor of Hollywood Johnny Grant died and the position was newly vacant. Mm -hmm. Her platform statement said, it's important for me to be in this position. Me, 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 Angeline, because I'm so much a part of Hollywood. It just needs to be me. That's it. There's nothing else to say. Boom. You know, she makes a very nuanced argument there. She does speak of boom. <laughs> California does need a boom right now. <laughs> so she came in uh, 28th out of 135 in that it's race. She's getting up there in years nowadays. So she's had quite a lot of plastic surgery, which she's very open about. She calls her plastic surgeon her artistic collaborator. <laughs> uh, his name's George Semmel. And he's the same guy who who made Elizabeth Taylor in Zaza Gabor. Oh, okay. Zaza. 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 You're I'm not even a fan of Green I just watched The Lion King. <laughs> Is there a character named Zaza? Isn't like a, a bird? The hyena. Her, oh yeah, another bird. The bird named Zaza. Zaza Gabor is not a person. Zaza Gabor is a person. There's a lot of raffles around town to win a ride mm -hmm. in her car with her that you could win pretty easily. Just be ready to shell out a lot of cash. Yeah. I almost entered one, but then I looked in the box and saw there was no one else in it, and I knew I would win, and I was too afraid. My good friends did that. Yeah. Or you could just email her at angelinebillboardqueen at gmail.com. I want to give you money. <laughs> It's $40 an email. She lived in Malibu up until 2010, but now she seems to live in Thousand Oaks. But she's still pretty private about her personal life. And like I said, her backstory is kind of murky, which has led to there being a lot of rumors about her. Things like she ran a prostitution ring or that she got all her money because a rich guy died and gave it to her as long as she used it to make billboards of herself <laughs> or that she's actually a man or that she had an affair with some rich guy whose wife found out and paid a homeless guy to set her Corvette on fire or also that she dated Charlie Sheen and she dated Madonna. So nobody yeah. knew the truth except Angeline. But then, this is the article you didn't want to read. In 2017, a story was printed in The Hollywood Reporter about a guy who claimed to have pieced together Angeline's true identity through public records. Wow. In reality, Angeline was born Ronia, a.k.a. Renee Tamar Goldberg, on October 2nd, 1950. Her parents, Hendrik and Brunia, were Holocaust survivors. They were in the Chmielnik ghetto and were among the 500 survivors of the 13,000 Jewish people that lived there. Her parents were married at the Foreign Wall Displaced Persons Camp in Germany, which is where Renee was born, much like my dad. Oh, wow, really? <laughs> Not that displaced persons camp, but it did. my dad's Angeline. 
In a roundabout way. <laughs> what I'm trying to say is, it turns out she is a man. And what a man. She's my daddy. <laughs> Angeline's my daddy. My brother. <laughs> yeah, her family was eventually relocated back to Poland, who was still very much in the Nazi spirit, and Jews were not welcome. So the family moved to Israel, where they joined an ultra-Orthodox community until 1959, when they got on a boat to New York, and then moved west to the Fairfax Jewish community okay. in Los Angeles. Could move. A All tale as old as I miss the ghetto. I miss the welcoming arms of Poland. Her dad became a mechanic and her mom died of cancer in 1965, but her dad remarried and moved the family to Panorama City to run a liquor store in Van Nuys. Even more shocking than all of this, she was born a redhead. Oh. She's not blonde. What? <laughs> Why did I buy all these Angeline wigs? I'm just ripping the hair off yeah. of Barbies. Now you're a lie, you're a lie, you're a lie. Renee went to Monroe High School, Marilyn Monroe, in North Hills, and while she was there, she married Michael Strauss, who is the heir to the family that invented the changeable movie theater marquee. Oh. So she married into a rich family yeah. and when she graduated in 1969 the two moved to a place on Hollywood and Vine and then they got divorced okay. so one day she decided to reinvent herself so she went blonde and pink and put on a fake girly voice and Renee died and Angeline was born so this story is most likely true but Angeline denies it because she's been trying to keep it a secret for a long yeah. time and maybe also she wants to make a movie of it someday so this story really is hers to break and yeah. the Hollywood reporter kind of took that away from her yeah. but the question that remains is still why did she become Angeline why did you think of that she was born out of a lot of pain and trauma and she completely took charge of her life and became something entirely new and entirely different. Yeah. It was the complete opposite of a little Jewish girl born in a German displaced persons camp to yeah. becoming Angeline. Angeline. She became the first person to be famous for being famous. She yeah. created an entire trope of a person. <laughs> she did, yeah. And, and that's the epitome of Hollywood. Mm. Like she said, I've been called the saving grace of Hollywood, the muse of Los Angeles, the inspiration of glamour, <laughs> which settled down Angeline, but it's also <laughs> kind of true. Yeah. She's not wrong. And on top of that she did all of this herself she made her yes. own career she didn't rely on a rich guy or some other creep she said she doesn't need men i can get men to do anything i want you never have to compromise yourself to get somewhere and people i can, <laughs> I can get men to buy anything out of my trunk i could get men to buy my smelly old underwear <laughs> for four thousand dollars you never have to compromise yourself to get somewhere and people should always remember there are alternatives also if you don't succeed at one game go into another and why the billboards and the pink and the cars i can do anything <laughs> I can and you know what? She's right. <laughs> She's right. I can dance. I can sing. I can do the splits. But I don't just want to be associated with doing just one thing. I don't want to simply hide behind one thing. I'd prefer to be famous for my own persona, which is a lot more costly and more respected than being known for possessing a particular talent. Wow. So her agent claims that her billboards have become part of the LA skyline, along with the Chinese theater and the mm -hmm. Hollywood sign and the palm trees. So it took all of this for me to finally put together that Angeline sounds kind of like Angelino. Yeah. And I'm wondering, hmm. maybe she's just like an embodiment of Los Angeles. I'll, hey, I'll sign off on that. Yeah, I'll worship that. So that's Angeline. Wow. She's, uh, I can't wait to see her next time on the on the 101. I can't wait to spot her again and almost get an accident. <laughs> Pull over, I want to buy a bra. <laughs> yeah. What size am I? So let's get to your first person, Greg. Who is it? Tell us. We want to know. So you told the story of Angeline and this perfectly complements it. This story is going to be called Get Famous or Get Famous Trying. Boo. <laughs> <laughs> it's the old idea of a bus stopping at Hollywood and Highland and a young person drags a suitcase full of all of their belongings yeah. off. And Lon Chaney Jr. says, I can make you into a monster. <laughs> <laughs> They've just come from a small town. They're here to be a Hollywood movie legend. You know, it happened to Lana Turner where she was just sitting at the top hat cafe. And if it can happen to Lana Turner, it can happen to me, Elizabeth Short. <laughs> 
If it can happen to Elizabeth Short, it can happen to me, and that's why I don't go out at night. She got in the papers, didn't she? But since Hollywood became the movie capital of the Milky Way, hundreds of thousands of good-looking hopefuls had risked everything to come to Los Angeles and get famous. And in a competitive and vast pool like that, it's near impossible to get noticed, to get the attention you deserve. Even if you were born here, you have to be weird to get attention. That's just how it is. That's why we haven't gotten attention. We're not weird. We're not weird. Our intros, totally normal. It's the same basic (laughs) principle that created Googie. Like when Ali became a car-centric diners and restaurants had to create noticeable facades that would get drivers to stop at their eatery. Be over the top or we're not going to look at you. Or I'm not going to eat you. You're not kind of funny. You're not like a joke that we tell in the car. Imagine we ate at that weird tamale thing and then they go. In LA, for almost a century now, you have to be weird to get the attention that leads to money. That's why we have people like Dennis Woodruff. I don't know if you've ever seen this guy before. I remember seeing his cars. I, so you've seen him in person. This I've is, seen his cars. two people in a row that you've seen I, their cars. Yes. Because I didn't know about this guy until we started doing, re- what are some select local celebrities? Yeah. And I saw this guy and he seemed interesting, but you nabbed him from under me. <laughs> you're a city slicker, but you're a sucker. You might have noticed him driving around Los Angeles. Actually, you won't recognize him. Like if you stop in the street, you won't be like, are you Dennis Woodruff? You'll recognize his flamboyant cars that have large signs that read stuff like Woodruff and Tough seeks big break. Actor Dennis Woodruff, cast me. Producer needed, make my movie. Born to act. Oh, God. And it's just, and it's not just the fancy. It's classy on a billboard. <laughs> but when you hand letter it yourself, it's not just the fancy lettering on a vehicle that gets attention. He has stuff like award statues on the hood of his cars. Mm-hmm. He's got like American flags and yeah. film reels and stickers. He decorates these cars. His car, from what I saw, it looks like if in a cartoon world, you like drove through the ocean yeah. and came out the other side. And you just and have like, like a barnacles bunch of- <laughs> and, and sea creatures all over. Like it, that's what his car looks like. It looks like he Blues brother style drove through a Hollywood gift shop yeah. and came out the yeah. other side and just <laughs> stuff is hanging everywhere. And Elvis is dancing. <laughs> he left the building. Um, now, that's a dad joke that's not going to age well. Once Elvis dies for real this time, that's not going to be funny. He's in the bathroom of Jerry's Deli right now. He'll never die. <laughs> take he it. lives there Angeline's now. pounding on the door. Take it. A little less conversation, ghetto. please. <laughs> on a cold gray Chicago morning, my little child baby was born. I don't remember the lyrics on demand. Now, I always thought that he was, Woodruff was known for his cars and trying to get acting roles, but I didn't realize that's only half of his legend. The other half are the DIY films he makes and mm. stars in. I didn't realize that he So was... he's kind of like uh, Tommy Wiseau. Yeah. Who could also be a local celebrity. I guess so. Known for shame. <laughs> known for pretending that you did something on purpose. Yeah. Dennis Woodruff and his honest little automobiles are determined to get famous or get famous trying. Woodruff's story starts... That's funny now. That should be I the title that. of your thing that you already did. Woodruff's story starts in Huntington Beach where he was born in 19... 19- 52. It's a local boy. Huntington Beach. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll take it. I could drive there on two freeways. It's a local. <laughs> but if you allow me to go back, Dennis Woodruff is part of the legacy of Hollywood land. His grandfather was S.H. Woodruff, one of the original real estate developers of the area around Beachwood Canyon known as Hollywood wow. land. Along oh my with, God. Yeah, along with people like Harry Chandler and J.H. Whitley was one of the fathers of Hollywood. That's so weird. It is. That's so weird and also so sad. <laughs> <laughs> but it's also so L.A. that yeah, my grandfather helped build that. Yeah, but yeah my dad was an extra on that movie that you love. Can you I, hire me? <laughs> in 1923, Grandpa Woodruff became the head of the Hollywood Land real estate development. That same year, the most famous billboard for advertising real estate in Los Angeles was erected, the Hollywood sign. Mm-hmm. And as monumental as that sign is as a landmark, let's also remember that it's a gimmick, an adored and revered mm-hmm. historical gimmick. And let's all acknowledge that we've all moved past that in society. <laughs> no more gimmicks for anybody. We've seen them all already. <laughs> 
And we have like a dog that runs in circles every time we say like a bad word. Sparky. <laughs> every time he barks, we get like two dollars on Patreon or something yeah. weird. The dog gets the money because he's way more popular. You're the dog us. from LA Meekly. <laughs> I know that bark anywhere. Grandpa Woodruff four years later then moved onto his next real estate development, Dana Point, which he was huh. involved in in the early stages. Also not Los Angeles, which I've learned. How did you learn that? Because I was talking about Dana Point, and Melissa was like, "Do you know where Dana Point is?" And I said, "Yeah, it's the tip of Palos Verdes." I just assumed because it's a point. Wrong point. You're pointing in the wrong direction. I'm pointing at you right now. It's not rude. <laughs> You're an idiot. Don't ever correct me on air. But the Great Depression was unkind to his prosperities. Daniel Point. <laughs> you interrupted me for that. The Great Depression hit the Woodruffs really hard. He had to sell his stake in Hollywood land. The family fortune over time eventually evaporated. And by 1952, when Dennis was born, they lost it all. They lost a significant amount of money that they could have been rich on. Like they, right. They're not like a Hollywood legacy the way like, oh, you're Chandler's 15th grandson and you're a billionaire for no reason. So S.H. Woodruff, the grandfather, had a son. His son was a film cameraman and he gave birth to Dennis Woodruff in 1952. Mm-hmm. He dies when Dennis is seven years old. That's the only reason I brought him up. And then like around the same time, S.H., his grandfather, passed away. So he loses two significant mm-hmm. male people in his life. From a young age, peering through his grandparents' Hollywood Hills home at the Hollywood sign, he had an aching to be successful with the knowledge. That's mind. I own some of those letters. <laughs> he had an aching to be successful to the knowledge that you can chase your dreams and live well from it. That's what he learned from his grandpa. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Prove it. <laughs> Prove it, Sparky. <laughs> He's a rich talk. According to Woodruff, when he was 10 years old, he was offered a part in a John Wayne film. He doesn't remember which one, funny enough. No. You think that you would remember. John Wayne was an acquaintance of S.H. Woodruff, and Dennis was really good friends with John Wayne's kids. And after he plucked up the courage to ask this Western icon for a role, you know, Wayne wrote Woodruff's mother in a letter in response saying that he'd found a small part for Dennis. But his mom wasn't impressed by this, and uh. she got mad at her son for bothering John Wayne. So she didn't allow him to take a part in a movie. And just like that, the chance for child stardom slipped through his fingers. Wow. He could have been like the one of the kids in the searchers or whatever. <laughs> oh, you're that kid in Rio Bravo? No, he no. never heard that. Dennis said, they were trying to shield me from the fact that Hollywood is a very superficial place, which is true, and that nobody really cares about you, which is true. <laughs> Better to be poor. But who knows how different his life would have been if he just had like a photo still in a cowboy costume from a John Wayne film, right. if that would have helped him at <laughs> all. It might have helped him. So anyways, never gets over it. He attends Orange Coast College working towards an art degree in the 80s. A lot of people there encourage him that he you know said that you should go into drama which he pretty much agreed with he left school and he left orange county moved to hollywood a whole hour drive without traffic (laughs) to pursue his dreams reality steps in of course and the cutthroat indifferent world of being an actor became shockingly apparent to dennis over the next few years he suffered rejection after rejection and he was able to secure must be hard wouldn't know what that's like Mm-mm. Wow, that's a dream I have is I get rejected one yeah. day. But... My worst nightmare is that someone says no to me. <laughs> K-N-O-W, right? Is there another meaning to that? Is there some sort of a homonym of what I <laughs> am most good at, which is knowing? <laughs> Dennis was able to secure work as an extra, but that's not, like, that's not fulfilling when you want to be a star, obviously. <laughs> it's the tale of every extra. That's not fulfilling unless you're a middle child and you're used to being an extra in your own household, but that's, mm-hmm. you know, that's money for nothing. You get paid for that? <laughs> I've been banging pots and pans around emotionally for years. I can get paid for this. I've been mouthing the words grapefruit for 40 years. <laughs> the residuals for this are going to be great. Working at Extra was not going well. Or it wasn't fulfilling his desire. He's probably paying like a bill, but it wasn't doing it for him. His next thought was something along the lines of, remember he was an art student. He had the idea of something in his brain. He just had the word art car. He meant art carney. Uh, <laughs> he was watching the honeymooners. <laughs> he thought art car and I can advertise myself as an actor with an art car because you want to get noticed. He, uh, it, That's it, such it, a jump in logic, first of all. Uh, well, well, yeah, but also it's... It's weird that him and Angeline are like, I need something, a literal 
thing yeah. that can advertise for me. Yeah, it's because I'm not doing the trick. What an LA thing that your car, which is LA is the center yeah. of cars pretty much in the country, that they're like, I have an idea. I'll, I'll use oranges to get famous. I'll write my name on all these oranges and people are like, that's not a bad idea. Do you have any oranges? Yeah, so he was already working on art. He was getting his art degree when he stopped to be an actor. So he was already utilizing one, you know, he was utilizing a skill set to fulfill another skill that he thought he had. <laughs> he was utilizing one skill he didn't have to fulfill another skill he, he didn't doesn't have. <laughs> He'll never have. So Woodruff, around the idea of art car advertisement, started to come up with the idea of a guerrilla PR campaign. The idea basically of like, you know that you have to become the water cooler talk and this car would be the way to do that. Yeah. Like you can get have your headshot passed around so many times, but if you're that weird guy with a weird car that everyone, oh, you saw that guy too in traffic, yeah. then you might get yeah. Who doesn't want to hire the guy with the weird car? Uh, what happened in the Hollywood sad? So in the early <laughs> 80s, he started decorating his car. First, he had a Lincoln Continental as the first car and he started decorating it with promotional materials. His car became covered with slogans and signs and just a general cap of all the ones that I like. Cast me, no part too small, no part too large. Dennis Woodruff, actor for hire, and he would write his phone number on his car, of course. He referred to it Angeline. In, he referred to it in one reading as his mobile business car. Okay. Card. Card card. Mm. Business car. Business by the way, the number is 323-309-1282. All these people that we're talking about that are still alive. They want you to contact them. We give, we're giving you the contact. Yeah. He's had several different cars through the years. A Lincoln Continental, a 77 Cadillac, a Crown Victoria, a Plymouth Colt. Through the years, his cars have had agents' phone numbers, headshots. One LA Times article said mugshots. I don't, I don't know if they mean headshots. <laughs> He's had bumper stickers, you know, that say Dennis Woodruff on them. Some of his signs through the years have said stuff like, born to act, and I break for auditions, and keep me apart. <laughs> he would hand out flyers and tell people, I'm the next Tom Cruise. How you doing? Oh, good. God. He became a fixture at uh, Fairfax and Sunset and Hollywood and Highland where he'd park his car hmm. and let it get free publicity for him. So he would just park his car and be like, that's that wacky car and they'd take pictures. You'd see his famous car parked in motel lots where he slept when he couldn't afford a room anywhere. Where he would be doing illicit drugs. <laughs> he would sleep in his car when he couldn't afford a room. He'd be shaving and showering at a local gym to stay ready for his big role. Other times he'd park his car near or at the Man Chinese Theater which was this was his calling car. Then he would take the bus back to his apartment <laughs> while he waited for the studios to call. The amount of tickets he probably got. Probably Probably a lot. I mean, you know, you should know. You oh. get tickets in Hollywood all the time. You're funny. I don't get tickets. I get towed. Uh, at the <laughs> that end means of... you've made it. <laughs> You're That's... that guy. He's a car that I just towed. That's like a blockbuster. Can I get your signature on this $300 receipt? You got your towing card? <laughs> we have your headshot in the police station, and we're not. you're not allowed to drive. At the end of the day, his girlfriend would drive him back to his car. By the way, he had to pay $4 to park his car every card card. And every he had a day. girlfriend. And he had so he lost money doing this gimmick. But his gimmick did sometimes get him the right attention. He did manage to land a few bit parts in TV shows and a few movies. In 1992, he had a small role in a movie called We're Talking Serious Money with Dennis Farina and Fran Drescher, where he played an FBI agent. He was on the Tom Green show, apparently a lot. Huh. Our old friend Our Tom Green. Our old friend Tom Green, another guy that we've Even viewed. closer to us than Rodney Bingenheimer <laughs> is Tom Green. Who stopped us in the flapper's long hallway. Yeah. You have any questions he, for me? He didn't. Tom, we once had an encounter with Tom Green, and he wanted to talk to us, and I wanted to talk to Tom Green yeah. and then someone else came along and was rude to him and kind of cut Tom Green out of the conversation. From what I remember, he approached us and we were like, Are you Tom Green or Andy Dick? <laughs> Either way, ooh, I watched the Tom Green show when I was on. I so did not. I. Yeah. And then Jackass came on like, oh, this is way better. Um, I, I hope Tom Green listens. I feel bad if he listens to this. I like Tom Green. I like Tom Green. I have no beef. <laughs> Freddie Cotfingers is really funny. Daddy, would you like some sausage? <laughs> Dennis Woodruff was on the episode of Quantum Leap. He had a, a bunch of small roles <laughs> in the movie Toys. He was in Robocop 2, Look Who's Talking Now, Colin Crime. Wait a minute. Which one is Toys? Is that the one? Robin Williams. What's the one I'm thinking of where like the G.I. Joes come to life and oh, are attacking that's people? 
Small Soldiers. Small Soldiers. That movie scared me. You're a child. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, I was. What's that movie that scared me? Indian in the Cupboard? <laughs> You're scared of Native Americans. <laughs> Native American in the Cupboard. <laughs> Please. My father is Indian in the Cupboard. I'm 146th Indian in the Cupboard. <laughs> We're making fun of people who claim to be Native, Native American, American when they rarely are. By that point, and amongst the small roles he was acquiring, the only media people really interested in him were like local TV crews and foreign magazines asking for an interview, but like nothing was coming from... That's where the shift really comes, because it's becoming apparent that what is really becoming famous are his gimmicks, not his talent, and right. even more specific, what is becoming famous are his cars, mm-hmm. not him. People are taking photos with his parked car and not him. <laughs> that attention worked too, but it wasn't the full dream he saw. The car is going to be in the more movies than you are, like Angeline. He could have been in the movie Cars. <laughs> Their cars could have been dating in the movie Cars. Imagine. That would be great. I would watch I would that. watch Cars. If yeah, if Cars was about two cars in LA, both trying to get movie roles, it would be La La Land, but with Cars. <laughs> Pen pending. Don't put that in the episode. <laughs> we recorded. Well, let's email this podcast. To <laughs> Your Honor, we recorded a podcast. What date? We don't remember anything. There's no looking back. We're like Bob Dylan, baby. We're like Donovan, baby. <laughs> to him, all of this was a big fun joke. He hmm. thought it. He knew it was a joke, but he also wanted work. <laughs> That's the thing with him. It's a fine line because he he knows it's a joke and like it's ribbing and it's a gimmick and yeah. it's campy, but he also wants to be working from it. Yeah. Like there's also this desperation for yeah, attention. Desperation's the word. Yeah, that's the quintessential word in all of this. Th- that's another thing. Borderline insanity and also like, Haha, I'm in on it. Give me money. Yeah, exactly. It's turning desperation on itself, <laughs> which is just double desperation. It's desperation doing a 63 on itself. <laughs> show me. Get on the floor and show me. Show me how desperate you are. <laughs> Pig. So now it's like, 1985. He sought to shift the attention from his cars back to him. He was living in a trailer park financially. So the car drives him. <laughs> and Woodruff's Hollywood car drives you. <laughs> I keep wanting to call him Bob Woodward. Oh, he brought Nixon down when he was in a car. It's Dennis Woodruff and he's in a parking lot and there's a car and it's a silhouette of a car with a hat on and a coat. You want to hear about Tricky Dick, huh? I'm trying to think of what the throat of a car is so I can make a deep throat car joke. Uh, and that can be the first joke in our movie Cars. <laughs> <laughs> deep exhaust. We're men, and we like to boast about being men. Rum, rum, vroom, vroom. I even did the sound wrong. Jesus Christ. <laughs> run, run. <laughs> Here I am talking about my cars as men do. Run, run. Run, run. Uh, hunch, <laughs> Put on my turn signal. Hee-haw, hee-haw. <laughs> I'm about to parallel perk right now. So Dennis will just not doing good. And he wants to shift this entire thing around. And he doesn't really know how. And he's living in a trailer and financially, spiritually, not his best. His brother Scott inspired him, though, by reminding him that you don't need Hollywood to come knocking on your door. You can do all of this yourself, <laughs> Angeline style. If you're doing guerrilla PR, our campaign why not go full gorilla and blow up a building <laughs> and wear a gorilla suit <laughs> gorilla filmmaking right. you can do it yourself yeah. this was your ticket you can go and make movies and force your family and friends to watch it and give positive feedback even just like i did in college <laughs> greg a person i don't know what do you think so spending what little money he had left dennis bought a camera and he turned his trailer park site into a film set and started production on dennis woodruff the movie which is mostly just a dennis woodruff mixtape it has his tv appearances his news packages mm-hmm. interviews with him or about him and his car mixed together with short documentary style scenes about his life which if got his neighbor to edit it and he said that it was a hit again he said that it was a hit apparently selling 4,000 VHS's out of his trunk in just three months maybe yeah I mean it's not not an outrageous number he's not not famous you know what I mean yeah he's infamous Uh, (laughs) he's been making movies now for like to this day making movies for years and years and when I say making movies I mean making movies taking on all the roles producer screenwriter director casting agent him editor (laughs) special effects and of course lead role he's made dozens of movies through the 90s and well into the 21st century one early title that stuck out to me Dracula vs. Dennis Woodruff (laughs) 
course, I Again, like that kind of stuff. That sounds exactly like. <laughs> <laughs> I was Dennis Woodruff, and I didn't know it. Little did I, that I was, know I was Angeline. <laughs> he teamed up with a guy named Keith Kurlander, and the two started putting together movies with titles like Obsession Letters to David Lynch, Horrors in the Laundromat, and Spaceman. <laughs> the Spaceman role is like a big thing with him. Apparently, he thought he was Spaceman for a while. So far, he's made something like 27 movies and managed to sell 100,000 copies of them out of his trunk of his car, mostly to tourists. You can download these mm. off his website. Dennis Woodruff. Are they on show. Netflix? Dennis Woodruff show.com he's doing pretty well he says he's selling his films online and makes about four hundred thousand dollars a year from all of this that is a dream. lie <laughs> no, yeah, no. i'm getting like show me your taxes show me show me the receipts yeah. were you born in kenya <laughs> he still chooses to live in his old caravan parked or just behind paramount studios that's probably why he can save so much money that's the ticket life hack life, life hack live in a trailer <laughs> live in a trailer behind paramount studios don't point at me <laughs> life hack too don't point at me dennis said the key to his success was hard work and determination this is a quote from him hard work pays off if you stick to it i have been at my career for more than 20 years and the rewards have now started pouring in prosperity is a good thing because it brings more i probably have everything i've ever won in my life even more in fact i have too much a whole street with no street cleaning <laughs> he's a great guy i really like I'm, I'm like taking jabs mm-hmm. but like i really like dennis woodruff he's purely los angeles entity which is to say foolishly hopeful yeah but the city runs on that for better or for worse the loser of the city and the champions both can attest to the foolish hopefulness some see what dennis woodruff does as social satire of hollywood mm-hmm. you can angle it that way i feel like Woodruff personifies naked desperation and mm-hmm. that's a pretty stuffy way to put it honestly he's just like a genuinely positive alley native who likes getting attention for being silly and i mean that with love go get him dennis woodruff really go get him go dennis get him, woodruff Tiger. yeah that's our movie go get him go dennis get him woodruff. it's a car movie it's car go get him vroom, vroom. it's a live action cars movie <laughs> i want to see this guy i mean just go to the graveyard go to the <laughs> you, graveyard you're, you're, you're speaking of being <laughs> parked behind paramount there's a graveyard there behind is, paramount. There is, um, I, as i found out trying to park at the hollywood forever cemetery yeah. I'll just go around the block. Six miles, maybe? No parking anywhere. To Dennis Woodruff's house? Dennis, can I park here? Buy my movie. Doesn't sound like that. I'm rude. I think like those are two kind of similar people, yeah, very Angeline similar. and uh, Dennis Woodruff. Yeah. Let's get into someone a little... We're going into the older section now. Yes. This guy is completely different. I'm so... You said you were going to do this guy, and I lit up. Yeah, because I thought you would want to do him, yeah. but you wanted, want you wanted... You wanted... I want to 63. Yeah. <laughs> you wanted me to do him. You wanted, <laughs> you uh, wanted to watch. Anybody who doesn't know behind the scenes, if there's a story that I'm really excited to hear, I want Daniel to do it, because I know that I won't hate it two days in, and I'll, he also does a better job at everything. <laughs> everything so i'm like please do chris well isolate that make that that. make that a ringtone that we can sell in our trunk (laughs) we open up our trunk there's a bunch of sound bites let's go right into this guy i predict in the future people will look back on this segment and recognize it as the story that launched la meekly to stardom and then just as quickly to stardom induced heart attacks (laughs) (laughs) like orson welles had (laughs) after eating four thousand hot dogs that was the name of his sandwich was stardom rosebud was a type of mayonnaise he liked a lot (laughs) This one is about a local celebrity probably only still remembered at all because of Ed Wood, the amazing Criswell. Jeron? Jeron? J-E-R-O-N. It's alive. J-E-R-O-N. Jello Jello Charles Criswell King. That was his name. Wait, wait, say it again. Not Jello. Jeron Charles Criswell King. Great name. He was born August 18th, 1907 in Princeton, Indiana into an extended family who ran a mortuary. (laughs) Right off the bat... (laughs) 
<laughs> he was born an Ed Wood character. I, I know. He was born into the lifestyle he was destined to live. <laughs> he spent so much time around the mortuary that as a kid, when his parents would fight, he would hide in the casket storage room, which is a trait he carried into adulthood because he claimed he would sleep inside of a coffin every oh night God. in his home. He was a very quiet oh, child and he, di- he didn't speak until he was four years old during a bad rainstorm and he said his first words, the rain will stop. This was his first prediction and just like most of them, it was wrong. <laughs> but eventually kind of right, I guess. I guess in the <laughs> long it, run. It did stop raining. Yeah. It's not raining right now, so he's been proven right. History will look back on him kindly. And from then on, he couldn't stop talking. Right. He would run around the hotel his parents ran, which is called King House, <laughs> talking and blabbing. No, that's taken already. He was talking and blabbing and trying to get attention from anyone who would give it to him. Speaking of middle child, he was an extra. He was an extra. <laughs> extra tra- <laughs> he was an extra who became the lead role. <laughs> One day in town, they were having an unveiling of a monument to the town's fallen soldiers. And when they pulled the blanket off the statue to reveal it to everyone, Criswell was standing there giving the Gettysburg Address. <laughs> When he got to high school, his uncle gave him a job writing for his newspaper, The Daily Democrat, where he got paid 25 cents to write a column. But what would he write about? Well, since he was little, he would get these hunches about things that would happen. And as he got older, he started to realize that Kennedy, a lot of the Daily Plaza. Go ahead. It's very weird that you say that. What? We're going to get to that. As he got older, he started to realize that a lot of these hunches would actually happen, and he started getting more accurate at them, so he started keeping a private tally of his predictions, and eventually he had enough go right that he felt pumped of comfortable comfortable he felt pumpernickel about it. <laughs> he felt comfortable going public yeah. with his predictions wow, okay. so he decided to write predictions in the newspaper in a column called Criswell predicts an accurate glimpse of the future factually so accurate the, <laughs> objectively true words you can of the bet future. by <laughs> he had a, a sports almanac <laughs> little did we know his real name was Biff <laughs> Biffwell <laughs> the amazing Biffwell Biff some of the early predictions from these columns were pretty benign such as I predict that the good people of Canada can expect stormy weather but some were a little more forward-looking, like that people will start carrying the cremated remains of their loved ones in glass earrings and rings, and like you would wear them, like okay. fashion. Like I'm wearing right now. He was right. Oh my God. But he also managed to predict that Russia and China will attempt to take over Asia in the name of communism. Whoa. So he was kind of right. That's okay. the thing. But my favorite of these early predictions, I predict all dog owners will face a personal battle with their beloved dog. Nine, <laughs> on a daily basis, really. Nine Stop out of every it. 10 dogs feel they are being discriminated against and are classed as second-class citizens under the pedigree system. And therein lies the pattern with Criswell for his whole career. Something mundane that's inevitable, something interesting about the future, something that actually comes true, and then something about dogs running for Congress. <laughs> that was his style. One out of every four is kind of right. He's just like a vessel for a higher truth. Like he can't he, A he higher can't truth pick. that's lying. <laughs> so after high school, he studied music at the University of Cincinnati and after college was a teacher for a year in Jersey City but after that he came back to his hometown to work at the morgue and write predictions in his uncle's newspaper so eventually weird small town life wasn't enough for him so he moved to New York City to become an actor where he got the role of Dorian Gray in The Life and Loves of Dorian Gray which ran on Broadway in 1936 for a month <laughs> then the depression hit and yeah. they had to World War I they had to Dorian eating- Gray into bullets <laughs> everyone's uh, eating socks <laughs> they had to eat the stages there was no 
room to Broadway. <laughs> you heard of treading the boards. How about salting the boards? He then toured with the play, but once it came to LA, he decided to just stay here where he yep. met an old speakeasy dancer named Myrtle Stone Siffer. What was her real name though? Well, her stage name is Halo Meadows and her she had a poodle named Buttercup and he decided to marry her. What happened between then and the year 1953, I don't know, but that year, 1953, he started doing local ads on KLAC for some snake oil pills called Criswell Family Vitamins. Snake but, oil? But just, you know, these vitamins will make oh, you okay, yeah. take these pills and you'll be doing the 63. <laughs> Ask your kids. But one night he ran out of stuff to say during his infomercial, but he still had 15 minutes to kill. So he decided to do a few of his predictions on the air. Bold. And then the next day, a few people called into the studio to tell him that a few of those predictions came true and enough called in that it encouraged Criswell to buy airtime on Channel 13 KCOP to start his show Criswell Predicts. The format of the show was it would start with the song Pomp and Circumstance <laughs> and then the announcer who would go on to be the announcer of Divorce Court would introduce Criswell and he'd have his blonde spit curl and he was wearing a tuxedo with sequined lapels and give an introduction along the lines of we're all interested in the future because that is where you and I are going to spend the rest of our lives. Love it. Then it would just be a long list of his predictions for half an hour. <laughs> Things like how someday we'll all drive cars with swimming pools in them and that one day the world will tilt off its axis and when you pour a cup of coffee or glass of water the rim will not level. Telephone coin boxes and vending machines will refuse to work. Jukeboxes will be mute and then will come the time when garbage cans roll across the street for no apparent reason. Because <laughs> the earth's off its axis. Everything's crooked. Sound science. <laughs> he went to the University of Cincinnati, okay? Don't question him. That's infallible. He's infallible. Yeah, the infallible, amazing Criswell. <laughs> but he also said things like, I predict education will be given through the television screen. No personal teachers, but there will be a warden on duty to see that 100% interest is sustained. Later, education memory pills will help give you all the education you can possibly use. So again, Ritalin. again, he's almost there. Yeah. Also, he said that the US and Russia will separately and jointly during the 1970s begin to set up space stations. Progress will be slow until the late 1970s when the discovery of anti-magnetic forces will free man from the laws of gravity and make space travel without rocket propulsion possible. Almost there. Almost Big there. Big step back. Yeah. <laughs> this show ran until 1961 and in that time he developed a nice level of fame for himself. People recognized him around town when he'd walk around wearing pancake makeup all the time. <laughs> he was often in the Hollywood Christmas Parade. He'd often hang out at the Brown Derby or at Bordner's in Hollywood which is not far from his home at 6620 Selma Avenue. That's where Edward goes there in Edward. Oh really? Yeah. I'm sure he was hanging out with Edward there. So yeah. he referred to himself as a modern day Nostradamus. <laughs> he also made a lot of famous friends around town like Mae West. Really? Who made him her personal psychic and would sell him her old cars for $5. You could decorate those and you can get a lot of you get a lot. Yeah, you can make predictions on that car, you know. <laughs> I predict cars will be driving me. <laughs> Welcome to Woodruff's Hollywood. She even recorded a song about him, Mae West did, called Criswell Predicts. You're kidding. Yeah. No, I'm it. not. All these people, everyone I covered made songs. His best prediction about her was that she'd be elected president and that she, him, and Liberace's brother would all take a rocket to the moon. Whoa, okay. Those are all things that could happen. It could. I mean, once they discover 
clever anti-gravity. Yeah, of course. He was also friends with Vampira. My love. But his most remembered friendship is that with Ed Wood. He agreed to be in Plan 9 from Outer Space as a favor, where he says the perfectly Criswell Ed Wood line at the beginning of, future events such as these will affect us in the future. <laughs> he was also in the Ed Wood movies Night of the Ghouls and Orgy of the Dead, where he was drunk. Yeah. But even though he is mostly a celebrity, his fame did bleed a little bit nationally. His news columns got picked up in 150 papers across the country, and Criswell Predicts was put on 85 TV stations. Whoa. He wrote a few books, Success Without Struggle, Criswell Predicts, From Now to the Year 2000, Criswell Predicts, Your Next 10 Years, and Criswell's Forbidden Predictions based on Nostradamus and the Tarot. In 1970, he released a record of his predictions called The Legendary Criswell Predicts, Your Incredible Future. Uh, one you, pr- Greg Gonzalez. Yeah, I'm talking to you. It's like the E.T. ride. <laughs> Greg, Greg Gonzalez. <laughs> So one prediction off that record said, I predict men and women will wear exactly the same makeup, the same style of hairdress, and if required, the same type of wig. I was not allowed to say on television, radio, or have it appear in my column as the advertisers would clomp down on me and clomp very heavily. There's a tweet he wrote recently. Before Twitter, you had records. <laughs> <laughs> Do you see what he put out? That wax cylinder he put out? He's got to delete those. He's got to delete those vinyls. He can't be president. He's not going to host the Oscars with that vinyl. So he was also on some legitimate TV shows. He was on the Merv Griffin show, the Mike Douglas show and both Jack Parr and Johnny Carson's really? Tonight Show. Here's where we get into his most accurate predictions. Okay. On the Parr show on March 10th, 1963, he said, I predict that President Kennedy will not run for re-election in 1964 because of something that will happen to him in November 1963. Wow. That thing was his assassination on November 22nd, 1963. But isn't that like election time is November anyway? So you could be like, he's not gonna be president anymore because he's gonna be voted out. No. No, no, don't, no, no. no. I don't, know don't take this away from him. That, that's, that's a lot. That's weird. On Johnny Carson. Oh, his name's also Lee Harvey Oswald. We didn't say that about Chris <laughs> Oh, Wall? yeah, I forgot to say that. But also, it was Lee Harvey Oswald's dog. He almost got <laughs> it. He almost got it. Actually, he was the second shooter. Man's best shooter. <laughs> On Johnny Carson's show on December 31st, 1965, he predicted Ronald Reagan, the actor, would be California's next governor. His third accurate prediction was that a leader of the Negro civil rights movement will be killed before October 1968. Martin Luther King Jr. was killed April 1968. But really, those were flukes. He got, I mean, specific flukes, but that's a fluke. Let's get into just a list of my favorite of his predictions. He said that between February 11th and May 11th, 1983, all the women in St. Louis would lose their hair, causing chaos leading to divorces and an outbreak of violence towards hairdressers. <laughs> like, I feel like if he stopped that women lose their hair, there would have been, no. like, just enough of a weird thing to happen. But he's like, and then hairdressers, and then who are they, they're gonna, who's gonna sign off on the union strikes? But to even be so specific as to give the dates of when yeah. this is gonna happen. Yeah. He predicted Kansas would become the most important state in the United States. He predicted South Dakota would be the first state to legalize prostitution and marijuana. And he said that California will, will like <laughs> the South Dakotans have been living high and <laughs> high and horny for too long. He also predicted that California will boom as no other state in our history has boomed. Angelina wrote that for him, boom. He predicted that in October 1969, a famous white actor will be exposed for running a Pizzagate style slavery ring out of a basement in Beverly Hills. He said that in Chicago on January 10th, 1970, a, re- a revival of the old fashioned dance marathon of the 1920s for contestants over 85 will be held sponsored by a vitamin company 
company testing their new product. That's so specific. So specific. That's so specific. He, he thought it was on point. He's uh, desperately contacting all vitamin companies <laughs> in Chicago. Um, you got to sponsor this dance company. Here's what he said. The next movement will be the youth's rebellion through nudism. And this movement will begin in Rhode Island and spread throughout the land. I predict that perversion will flood the land beginning in 1970. I predict a series wow. of homosexual cities, okay. small, compact, carefully planned areas will soon be blatantly advertised and exist from coast to coast. These compact communities will put the olden Greeks and Romans to shame with their organized orgies. You will be able to find them near Boston, Des Moines, Columbus, Philadelphia, Washington, D.C., San Francisco, St. Louis, New Orleans, Dallas, and Miami. We just outed all those secret gay clubs that don't need to be secret anymore. <laughs> Thanks, Criswell. <laughs> Perversion will parade shamelessly and this all will be within the law because the perverted will claim they have been discriminated against. He also predicted an aphrodisiacal era, you know, the time when you do the 53. Yep. Or the 63. The 53 no. is. Yeah, well, boy. Consult your doctor about the 53. If you think you're doing a 53. If your 53 goes to a 63. <laughs> he predicted this era from May 1st, 1988 to March 30th, 1989, where the U.S. will be swept by the popular clouds of an aphrodisiacal fragrance. During this time, the sex... Max body spray. During, <laughs> this is when Old Spice was invented. <laughs> During this time, the sex urge will advance rapidly and many men will flagrantly expose themselves in public. Oh Grandfathers will be a accused of seducing their granddaughters and uncles will be jailed under similar crimes. Women will begin to think more of their appearance and they will have new hairstyles, more attractive clothing. This is a whole Pornhub category. The Criswell? Yeah, the Criswells. And will use more cosmetics than ever before. In Los Angeles, California, particularly Hollywood, sex acts will be performed openly, unashamedly on the streets. He's not wrong. Uh, Hollywood Boulevard, have you been there? Many cases of incest will be reported. I predict a wealthy San Francisco attorney will announce his marriage to his mother and a Hollywood producer will openly declare his daughter is going to bear his child, and a young man in Arkansas will ask to be legally wed to his pet cat. Man's best wife. Nah. He also said birth control would be in our water supply, and anyone who wanting to have a kid would have to apply for a pill from the government to become fertile. But a lot of I his wish. predictions... His, <laughs> I wish I was fertile. <laughs> a lot of his predictions focused on death. He said there'd be a graveyard built in Nevada in 1980 that could hold 60 million people. It's called It's called the Reno. <laughs> he predicted Fidel Castro would be assassinated by a woman on August 9th, 1970. You look upon a woman. I can be assassinated by no <laughs> no hombre. No, señor. You look upon a señorita. A meteor would destroy I wanted to stop you and I didn't know how. Uh, there's no stopping me. No man can stop Not me. <laughs> Let's go through the whole thing again. A meteor would destroy London on October 18th, 1988. He said Denver would be destroyed on June 9th, 1989 by a force from outer space. He described how a carnival there would be destroyed. A penny arcade will become a dungeon of doom. No! A canopy of that a, better, though. A canopy of a merry-go-round will plunge down upon its most innocent riders. The citizenry of this Colorado city will find themselves enveloped in a jelly-like substance that was once brick, concrete, steel, and lumber. He said that from November 20... He's just describing the blob. He said that from November 20... McQueen will be there. <laughs> you mean Lightning McQueen from my stars... My, my stars and li cars. St Stars and cars getting car cars? <laughs> he said that from November 28th to December 24th, 1980, an outburst of cannibalism will destroy the city of Pittsburgh, where a smile will be unknown. He said the helpless state of Vermont will be destroyed by a nuclear missile on February 11th, 1911. I like the idea of him having a giant map in his home of the US and from each state there's a flag of doom. They're gonna eat each other. This one's gonna sex themselves to death. <laughs> They're gonna lose their hair. That's worse than death. He said the entire planet will be 
destroyed on August 18th, 1999 by a a black rainbow that will take away all of our oxygen. He claims his predictions are 86% accurate, but I think that's 95% wrong. (laughs) What he never saw coming was his career ending when people lost interest in psychics like him in the late 60s and his wife leaving him and selling his house without telling him. Didn't see that one coming. Nope. He spent the last few years of his life in an apartment in Burbank until he died of a heart attack on October 4th, 1982 at the age of 75. He was cremated and is now at the Valhalla Memorial Park. His plaque says, Criswell predicts. A lot of people see him as a fraud, but he insisted, I had the gift, but lost it when I started taking money for it, Mm. which is a good encapsulation of what a local celebrity is. But if anyone wants me to lose whatever gifts I have, I'll gladly take money for it. (laughs) Take my gift. I predict. Take my gift. Take my gift, please. (laughs) So we're about eh, a little over halfway through the episode. Time to mention Fork Spot again. It's break time. Go out, order some food to pick up. Use Fork Spot. Use the promo code Meekly. Get $15 off your first uh, pickup. Do it. Take a break. And we're back. Hi. I'm ready for more celebrities. Okay. Local only. Local only. Locals please. only. That's what's spray painted on my skateboard. <laughs> my skateboard? I'm going to take us even further back. Way back. I don't know if anyone really has heard of this person other than historians. So I'm very happy to Never tell the story. Of him. First of all, this segment's called For the Love of God. Well, I'm going to be talking about a man <laughs> named William Monet, spelled M-O-N-E-Y. <laughs> Again, everyone hears about money. It's all about the Monet. <laughs> all about, it's all about Monet. We are so used to local celebrities in Los Angeles being affiliated with TV or the movies or some failed attempt at stardom or public notoriety. William Monet goes so far back into old Los Angeles that he's a local celebrity, just his own category. Many thought of this guy as a harmless old crank like I was talking about before. Mm-hmm. He's just like some weirdo in town. But he was considered by many as the first eccentric of Southern California, which is a tall order for sure because we <laughs> California is just like full of weird people. But this is supposedly the first local celebrity of LA. Monet first came to attention to me when I was looking for research for like a really devastating smallpox outbreak of the 1840s. And Monet came up as an eccentric doctor and possible cult leader. Neither of those things are true, but strangely, they aren't fake either. William Monet was born in 1807 in Scotland, in either Glasgow or Edinburgh. I read both, really. Uh, the border. He was born with a cowl around his neck. That's a like what? a cowl, which is like a membrane that develops uh, a fetus in utero. Uh, it's present. Greg, this isn't a medical <laughs> podcast. Please. I Show me pictures, please. <laughs> its presence was thought to indicate clairvoyance. Huh. I predict. I predict, no. <laughs> he also had, the, according to him, the likeness of a rainbow in the right eye. Like David Bowie? Let's keep in mind, like I was saying before, when it comes to local celebrities, they make up their own legend. They write yeah. their own stories. No one is dying to hunt these people down to hear their story. So they're writing their own heroic ballads and singing them for everyone to hear. His parents had honest enough jobs. His dad was a gardener. His dad his, was a con man. His dad was a con man. His mom was a crook. His dad was a gardener. His mom was a house servant. They regarded their son as having a great mystical power, which is like ease up. When he was just seven, according to his own account, he began studying natural history, philosophy, law, medicine, and theology. At the age of 12, he... He liked dinosaurs. <laughs> I get it. At the age of 12, he apprenticed for a paper manufacturer. And five years later, in 1824, Monet left Scotland and arrived in New York City. At the time, when he landed in the big city, it was very anti-Catholic. This was his first glimpse of America. And he thought, you know... I like this. <laughs> it's said that he may have been in service to a religious reformer, which is where he may have been influenced to push for religious reform. Get rid of Catholicism. Let's start a new thing. So he, he wasn't Catholic? No. He was some other thing. But he was Irish. Well, no, he's Scottish. Oh, okay. That makes it. They're yeah. heathens. He moved to Sonora, Mexico, where he helped build a paper factory. And the, Greg, the, I said that he's heathens. <laughs> Greg, let's backtrack to what I said about Scotland. We love our Scottish fans. Oh, we love our Scottish yeah, fans. We, lo- we love so our, many. So many so Scottish many. fans. Edinburgh, we love, Glasgow. <laughs> the rest. Uh, 
Loch Ness. Uh, There's the one big fan. bagpipes that I love to talk to. He moved to Sonora, Mexico, where he helped build a paper factory. And while he was there, he was known to have public debates with local friars over religion, continuing in Mexico to push for reform. He also spoke Spanish, which a lot of people were like, he spoke Spanish. I'm like, he lived in Mexico. Of course he did. <laughs> a Catholic clergy regarded him as the most obstinate heretic on the earth. Huh. When he came to town, he was said to have been an apprentice or a servant to a scientific man, which is where some people speculate he learned some of those trades or at least knew how to pass it off as if he knew a lot. One of the bigger debates was against the Roman clergy of the Sonoran village of Pitaquito, which I could not find on a map. It might have been destroyed. Every time I looked up Pitaquito, it just led to William Monet, so it's like tied to him somehow. Sounds like a cult leader. <laughs> oh yeah, Pitaquito. Um, he made you eat all his bones. This debate, which also concerned abuses from the church, lasted five years, 1835 to 1840. Abuses in the church was a suggested in the reading, but there was a specific debate happening. The bishop of Caluacan disputed that Monet believed that the Virgin Mary was the mother of Jesus, but not the mother of Christ. Isn't his full what? name Jesus Christ? I don't know what that means. So anyways, they're really upset with him because he makes his application to Maybe God. Maybe Jesus. Oh. This guy, Jesus, Jesus. but not yeah. Jesus Christ. And he's just hanging out here. He's just like helped put the wine in the thing. Put Monet, the wine in the coconut? And drink it all up because we're in a church and it's okay because it's Christ's blood. It's not wine, it's blood. It's not wine, it's blood. It's double gross. <laughs> Ooh, is this blood? No, it's wine. Ooh. So William Monet was, you know, he believed in God, but paid no tribute to Virgin Mary. And this has set the Catholics a lot. They debated this for five years. The church had seven disputants. They were known for their glib tongue and subtle imagination, which is something I read, but they're also known for their endurance. The church put up seven disputants. So seven people oh, okay. to argue against William Monet and he outlasted everybody. Like, some people got sick. Some people died. Natural, to, unnatural deaths. But, like, coming back to Lord of the Rings. <laughs> the seven were sent out to dispute. And now they just roam the hillside <laughs> screaming, dressed in all black. I can't be out debated by any man. You debate with a woman. <laughs> so he pretty much destroys, figuratively, destroys these seven disputants. Mm -hmm. He outmatches all of them. And he took this accomplishment to be a sign of not only his greatness, but now his duty. This is his duty. He was going to preach reform like never before because it was now his purpose on this planet. He proved to be, in his own eyes, though, anyways triumphant of course he was he won a long debate but it really like in the big spectrum thing doesn't mean anything and he was so elated and charged up with theological rhetoric that he announced that he'd be leaving sonora for another mexican village a sleepy little pueblo town up north uh -oh. called los angeles oh, no. the year is 1840 the mexican pueblo is eight years from becoming an american pueblo and with monet was his handsome they kept calling this woman handsome his handsome <laughs> little wife isabel he met in mexico his handsome little wife. she's a very honest woman <laughs> she looks very humble so it's it's him, his William, his wife, mule, 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 mule. There was mule behind them and a sack of his belongings. He was said to have ridden into town theatrically sporting a broad brim hat and sitting upon his mighty steed, which is probably the mule. When they arrived. A dying donkey. <laughs> Please kill me. I used to be a horse. It'd be funny if when horses die, they become mules. As they get old, they As become they mules. <laughs> Just like the mule starring Clint Eastwood. That's what he's about, right? That's he's what, an old man. He looks like a mule. He looks like a mule now. He used to be a young horse. He used to be a Mustang. He was a stud. He, he was, was a stud. Mm, oh, boy. Speaking of cars, he could be a Mustang in my live action cars. More like me. the good, the good, and the good. Um, <laughs> the good, the good, and the yummy. <laughs> When they arrived in town and he was asked what the purpose of his visit was, he said he has come to heal the sick and preach the gospel of the Reformed New Testament church. The area at the time had about 2,000 people and they were happy to have a doctor in town. There was no doctor. Is there a doctor in the house? No. No. Not just a doctor, a self-appointed bishop, which he was telling everybody. He claims to be a doctor. I read no thing about him studying medicine. There was no proof at all. He was just coming to town like, I think I know medicine. I know how the human body works. In 1958, much, this is, I'm kind of bearing the lead, but 
available in 1958, much later. 1958? Yeah, 1958. He's a time traveler. 1858. I buried the lead. He's an immortal time traveler. He could never die. At some point in 1858, he published a book in Spanish titled The Treaties on the Mysteries of the Physical System and the Methods of Treating Diseases by Proper Remedies. I wonder what it's about. Clearly, he pontificated on these matters. Fake title. Yeah. He just was just this liar supreme who went to everybody and was like, I could do everything. <laughs> I could be a bishop, but also I'm a doctor. He was not a doctor, but the town needed a doctor, so he said he was a doctor. There was also no Protestant church in Los Angeles, and white people needed that to gentrify the area because Protestant churches used to be the yoga bakery, bike shop, bistro, <laughs> record shops of their day. Monet didn't assign himself to just bishop or doctor he was also saying i know that i'm a bishop i know that i'm a doctor i'm a bishop Bishop, i'm I'm a doctor doctor. (laughs) but also i'm here to just do odd jobs just to get enough money to stay in town just proper lodgings you know so the city council gave him the task of making repairs on the plaza church which still sounds today for the sum of 126 dollars which is six million dollars today that's a lot of corvettes which were horses back then (laughs) (laughs) nice pink mustang (laughs) nice pink horse oh that's your joke um i saw what you did now (laughs) nice pink horse oh actually the breed is a mustang (laughs) the breed is a Chevy. I wonder when they asked him to repair the church, he was like, I have a repair for your church. Your god is false and your teachings are wrong. <laughs> Hi, I'm Willie Monet. <laughs> Here's the first thing I'm going to fix. And he snaps like a Jesus off of a cross. <laughs> he kicks the Virgin Mary off of a pedestal. There, She's it's praying. fixed. Yeah. <laughs> After one repair job, he was like, you know, I'm better than this, right? I beat the Roman clergy at a debate. I'm a better than this handyman crap. Hi, I'm Willie Monet. He took every given opportunity, apparently, to brag about his education in medicine, theology, astrology. His fake education. Yeah, <laughs> meteorology, cartography, natural history, and economics. But the only school I see him attending was the School of Hard Knocks. It was becoming pretty clear pretty fast to the residents of Los Angeles that they had a fudging liar on their hands. And he soon became the butt of everyone's joke, which mm. is the absolute root of the idea of a local celebrity. Yeah. Familiarity, if the, if ridicule, the, and odd adoration. Yeah, if yeah. the talk show based in that city at the time can make jokes about you, yeah. you might be you a might local be a celebrity. celebrity. The butt of a joke, but so far into that, they're like, but we can't live without that butt of a joke. <laughs> he was deserving of all's ridicule because he went by many different titles around town. Dr. Monet was one, Bishop Monet, Professor Monet, he claimed and Claude that- Monet. <laughs> and Monet, Monet, Monet. He claimed that he was an economic theorist, Monet, Monet, Monet. But of all of these claims, there was nothing more cuckoo banana pants than his idea of the ocean. Go on. This- I got some ideas of the ocean. This comes much later, but if we're talking about him being eccentric, he submitted an official record to the city, a weird map called the Discovery of the Ocean. According, <laughs> There's this thing out there. I found it. I thought it was a lake goes on for a long time all these monsters inside according to him a regular smart man the north pole at the top sucks in the waters of the whirling ocean now the north pole confuses a lot of people yeah (laughs) it confuses a lot of people that work on this podcast a lot of people are confused by the north pole because they think it's also the south pole because they think that the globe is a flat circle is a flat circle so the north pole at the top that's what greg thinks by the way just to be clear it is not me i'm really hoping that i thought it was sparky the dog that barked thinks that the North Pole and the South Pole are on the same piece of land because even Sparky doesn't think that Sparky knows better I'm not going to explain myself to everybody but I know if you go so far in one direction you end up on the other side and I thought it applies to both sides right vertical and horizontal if you're on the North Pole you take one step you're on the (laughs) South Pole obviously so North Pole at the top sucks in the waters of the whirling oceans these are heated by fiery regions bordering a subterranean sea and then there's a hollow earth sort of thing yeah and then they're spurted out of the South Pole here there are two currents marked the Kuro Siwo. Then they lose their heat and rise to the North Pole and repeat the process. His map is in. Is, is he still, Jules Verne? You know, he rode on a on a mechanical <laughs> hot air balloon into the center of the earth. 20,000 leagues under the center of the earth in 80 days. Uh, William Monet's map is still in book two of the miscellaneous records of LA and is submitted without text or explanation. Another reading that 
it, it put it a little more simply, there's a hole at the North Pole and it sucks in the waters of the whirling ocean, which pass through the subterranean ocean and are heated by exhaustless fiery regions which border the ocean. Then these heated waters are spurted out into space out of the South Pole. <laughs> no explanation of what happens. That's basically what he thinks. And that's where our dirty water goes. Not only is it the flat earth, but it's hollow. Like he took all of the It's a flat, weird hollow earth. earth that also has no atmosphere. He also thought that San Francisco was going to fall into the ocean. He hated San Francisco, by the way. When the newspapers refused to publish his predictions and maps regarding this, William Monet is said to have placed a curse on Los Angeles to have the same fate. Surf's up. How many people have we gone over that have made curses on the city? Like at least six. Yeah. So he had odd adoration. People were like, this guy's kooky, but also regular adoration because some of the more worldly people Los Angeles saw right through William Monet, but there are some simple farm folk who really appreciated <laughs> Dr. Monet. He did have some medical care skills and he helped the city through a bad smallpox epidemic, which is how I first learned about him. The Reformed New Testament church he had started had 12 members to it. This is the, the cult everyone says right. he started, but it was just prod. Like it was, yeah. Yeah, it was just prod. <laughs> Like the, it was a, it's a cult the same way I thought Amy Simple McPherson. Yeah. Um, they called themselves Methodists. <laughs> One of his favorite boasts was that he, William Monet of Scotland, could rise from the grave. Hmm. He thought he was Criswell, as a scream, a screaming boy was parents fought. Yeah, he thought he was Criswell waking yeah. up in the morning. <laughs> so he's telling everyone, you know, I could do it, I could do it. And one day, some onlookers decided that he needed to ante up. They wanted so the, to see someone it. Someone came up and punched him in the stomach. <laughs> <laughs> now you're Houdini. So I don't know if they buried him, but they for sure put him in a box. He was alive? Yeah. Well, that's not really rising from the grave that's escaping that's just, from the grave they put him in a box and they closed the box and they started shoveling dirt so i imagine he was probably buried under the ground in a box and it's exact but the earth is flat he would have gone out into space <laughs> don't send me into space don't dig too deep so they buried him underground and they started throwing dirt on the box that he's buried in and his exact quote from within the box was for the love of god let me out <laughs> and his audience laughed at him and he kicked the lid off the box himself and jumped out <laughs> i am risen no <laughs> was this not a grave let me just say it's 2019 unless he went by several different pseudonyms william monet never did rise from the grave but he sure did rise out of the box and fail the test it's now 1847 and dedicated meeklings know that a year later mexico would lose custody of los angeles use of the word thank you i tried <laughs> i wrote it in mexico would lose custody of los angeles and they'd lose custody to his new stepdaddy the united states <laughs> William Monet was not into this new home being invaded. He was not into the pressure of having to pick a side. He wasn't even sure what was going to happen when they came and who these Americans were. So he and his wife and their children, they had three children. They all fled in a panic back to the Mexican border with all their belongings, their livestock, their goods, all of his writings. He'd been writing his entire life. So he accumulated about six large reams of paperwork, <laughs> just maps and drawings and writings. His life's work. So the path to Mexico they chose rode directly into the arms of the U.S. cavalry. Whoops. <laughs> Whoops. Let's use this beaten trail. <laughs> what are all these weird flags with like 13 stripes a diary exists from the dragoon medic and they found an entry which described Monet as an old fellow with all his family and horses fleeing from the country to Sonora. So, like, it's funny. The Dragoon, which was led by General Stephen Kearney, which is, he's a famous person who invaded Los Angeles. They forcibly took the Monets back to Los Angeles, which is so funny because he, he fled Los Angeles, California of Mexico and ended up at Los Angeles, California of the United States. <laughs> but being forcibly returned to L.A., it was thought that General Kearney may have thought that the six reams that Monet was carrying were documents to mm -hmm. Mexican authorities. Mm -hmm. So, fearing that the enemy might get an upper hand, he destroyed 
destroyed 26 years of labor from Monet, his life's work, drawings and maps. He just destroyed them. Uh, At this point, well, he began writing. nonsense anyway. It was probably, and under the earth, there's lizard people. And there uh, was. So you're going to tell Mexico about <laughs> our lizard people. Oh, no. At this point, Monet began writing editorials about the matter to Los Angeles Star, which we covered a little bit in the last episode of the yeah. early newspaper. He also headed to Washington to sue the federal government for $250,000 over the loss of his life's work. Did not get the money. But I'll tell you what he did get. Divorced. Uh, <laughs> when he returned to Los Angeles a few years later. Well, which, counter your offer. <laughs> how about you're single now? Interesting. Go on. So it's a few years later he comes back from Washington back to Los Angeles. His wife Isabel had married a Frenchman named Pierre Pedro Abarta and they had a child together. And that's why you don't fight the government. <laughs> so this is a side story. His wife separates from him. She goes on. She marries this French guy, Abarta. They have six children, including a daughter named Lastania. Lastania has an incident that deserves its own segment on a future episode. <laughs> but we'll, we'll just sum it up real quick. In 1881, Lastania shot her seducer, Chico Forrester, in the streets in front of witnesses. Forrester, by the way, was the son of John Forrester, SoCal's richest land baron and a former LA County supervisor. They took the case to trial and her defense attorneys presented 12 male jurors with forensic evidence and expert scientific testimony that their client should be acquitted by the reason of menstrual madness. <laughs> and it worked. <laughs> it took the all-male jury 20 minutes to find that Lastania Abarta had been insane at the time of the shooting because she was on her period. <laughs> menstrual madness. Menstrual madness. That's another part of that carnival in Denver that got <laughs> destroyed. <laughs> I also read that on the trip when they're trying to flee American troops and they're going back to Mexico, William and Isabel suffered the loss of their little son, although not much is mentioned on the matter. But like it, all the accounts about him coming back were like he lost his life's work. He lost all <laughs> his paperwork. And like one thing was like, oh yeah, his son died on yeah. the way. Anyways, so Los Angeles Star was new at the time. Started up in 1851. He had already been like a local for like 10 years at this point. So they were looking for content. And Monet was happy to provide that and apparently wrote voluminous letters to the editor, usually accompanied by sarcastic editorial. Probably like a rumor like, okay, we, we, you know, is Criswell in his day? He also wrote about this his religious and medical invective. It was probably in the spirit of local celebrity ridicule and backtalk giggling that they decided to publish his manuscripts in book form, The Reform of the New Testament Church by W.M. Monet, <laughs> deacon and defender of the faith of Jesus Christ. The year was 1854, and this was the first book published in Los Angeles ever by William Crazy that, Pants Monet. It took that long to publish a book? I guess so. I guess people have more pressing things to do. Yeah, they wanted... By, like pressing olives. <laughs> pressing paper, yeah. cleaning caca out of the river. The preface, which is autobiographical, has a line in it that most people concentrate on by a singular circumstance I was born with four teeth and the likeness of a <laughs> rainbow in my right eye which I, it, four teeth was like not included <laughs> before being right? born with any teeth is weird isn't it you it don't is, get your teeth you don't get right your away teeth, no. you have to save a guy from suicide to get your teeth every time a bell rings a baby gets its teeth full grin the book of course was panned and denounced and he went on a series of retaliative attacks against his naysayers which was the Catholic Church a Mormon patriarch and all of the denominations in general he went back to the star to have his 300 page religious manuscript printed but they gave him a hard no he was able to set up a, like a monthly issue periodical thing called the christian church published through the al clamor publico which was the spanish press only one issue came out in 1857 amone moved to the san gabriel area and started building an adobe house with a double entrance gate and inscriptions in greek and latin and hebrew it was a weird octagonal little thing um Satan. every time people talk about his place they're like it's kind of weird shape <laughs> monet was called at the monetian institute his neighbors call it monet's castle it was off of mission drive near las tunas drive i can't get specifics probably because there weren't like roads at the time like it like was just like in the middle of two taco bells follow that tree yeah exactly it's about that big rock that we yeah, the two taco bells yeah. in this guy in 1863 another devastating smallpox outbreak was sweeping across the southland black maria is coming during that outbreak monet 
used his medical care know-how to treat residents, although because he was not licensed and was an armchair doctor, no one really took him seriously. He had this claim that like, I've treated 5,000 people and only four of them died. <laughs> I mean, survived. <laughs> in 1880, he was interviewed by historian H.H. Bancroft, which is a guy where so much California history comes from. According to Bancroft, Monet tried to use his opportunity to be interviewed by his historian to sell a manuscript for $1,000. And Bancroft was like, no. <laughs> in so many words. In, Always hustling. Yeah. In the name of God. In, in hustling in the name the, of God. For, for the love of God. <laughs> his castle, which is a cluttered oval-shaped house, sometimes used as a public school and later was the headquarters of the Monet Society. Always add something. Which was a group of Mexican and native Californians who banded together for social and benevolent purposes, like a gentleman's club. Uh, <laughs> oh, boy. Ooh, yummy, yummy. Mm. Ooh, <laughs> oh, God. Ooh, oh, my I goodness. Gotta, I got a 63. I got to brush my four teeth. <laughs> Let me polish my rainbow. Monet died in 1881 alone. <laughs> he was all alone. As it was put by Cecilia Rasmussen. I always say your name wrong. I'm sorry. He died with the image of the Holy Virgin above his head, an articulated skeleton at his feet, and a well-worn copy of a Greek classic within the reach of his hand. After his death... Wait, what? Why did he have a skeleton at his feet, and why was the Virgin Mary who he hated above him? Because he's weird. <laughs> I don't get anything of this he guy He was in does. Criswell's room. Criswell suite. After his death, his books and papers were lost. The Huntington Library might be the only institution mm. to have the lasting copy of his 22-page book, the first book ever published in Los mm. Angeles. At the bottom of the title page of his book, first published book in LA, it reads, when you see this, remember me, WM. That's William Monet. Interesting. It's kind of like Breaking Bad. It's like Breaking Bad. Well, you haven't seen that far. No, it's Breaking Bad. <laughs> Let's get to our last celebrity now. Yeah. We're coming to the current day. I mean, Angeline was current day, so yeah. it was Woodruff, Woodruff a little bit. Now, this is somebody who I've always been interested in because I've seen him around town so much. Mm -hmm. I had no idea there was so much information out there about him <laughs> that other people are also obsessed with him. It's about a guy who shares a passion for my two favorite things, dirty puppets and asking people for money and free food. <laughs> I'm speaking of David Lieb Hart, or you might better know him as the guy who sits outside the Hollywood Bowl or the Music Center or the La Brea Tar Pits or on public access TV or on Tim and Eric holding a dirty old puppet and singing a song with a fist over his mouth as if the puppet's singing, but he's not even really trying to make it look like he's throwing his voice so I don't even know what he's doing. It's just... He's just singing with a puppet in his hand. Or as I have always known him, the singing dog guy. Oh, that's so... I want you to tell the story so bad. Attempt triloquist <laughs> That's it. David was born in Park Forest, Chicago sometime in 1954. And here begins the first of many questionable claims he's made over the years. He claims he's related to the Wright brothers. Jesus. And he grew up wanting to play Opie's brother in the Andy Griffith show. He also says he's related to James Earl Jones. His family were Christian scientists, which is a religion that David still believes deeply in, despite the problems he's had with them that we'll get into. As a kid, the organist at his church taught him how to play. And he started playing the organ at his grandparents' churches who weren't Christian scientists, and he started writing his own hymns. So now he was into music, and again, according to him, he used to play with the bands Styx and Chicago in high school, and he also worked at a radio station in Chicago. Okay. After high school, he was briefly in the Navy and attended Berkeley College of Music. Not that one. Two oh. E's. Well, three E's total. And the Chicago YMCA College of Music and Drama, but in 1976, he decided to move to LA to become an actor, and through his Christian science church in town, he met a lot of people in show business and actually ended up getting on a lot of shows in tiny parts. He had roles on Good Times, Chico and the Man, The Carol Burnett Show. Later on, he was in Wings, The Golden Girls. He was in the movie 48 Hours, Man on the Moon, I Want to Hold Your Hand, and Brewster's Millions. Really? He got into the Screen Actors Guild for all this, but things were not going that great. He was homeless for a year. He worked at Ralph's and KFC for a while, and he would paint Christmas decorations on store windows. <laughs> the, painter. This is what you have in the future. Um, <laughs> I would love to be 
on wings. Uh, go ahead. He managed to become a long-term resident at the Dixboro Apartments on Beverly, right by the Karma Lounge. Really? Yeah, Funny. that apartment building that we walked by, and I think this place looks really cool, but also really sad. Yeah. He took acting and music classes at LA City College and Valley College. One time he says he won a station wagon on The Price is Right, but his sister crashed it on the drive home. <laughs> he's told a lot of stories that if they're true, he's the LA Forrest Gump. He says he once rode in a limo with Frank Sinatra to go see Sammy Davis. Davis Jr. at the Hollywood Bowl. The craziest of these stories is that he says he used to do stand-up when he was younger Mm -hmm. and that he was friends with Robin Williams since they were both Christian scientists. Then one day, Vivian Vance, Ethel Ethel Mertz, told the two of them to become a double act. So they started to perform as a comedy duo at the comedy store in the late 70s. Robin Williams and David Liebhart. (laughs) One character Robin Williams would do with David on stage was called Mork from Ork. And one one day, Gary Marshall saw the act and cast Williams to do the character on Happy Days. That's true. And hired David to do warm-up on Happy Days until 1981. I have no idea if that's true. (laughs) Eventually, Robin Williams outgrew David, but Robin Williams' mom would regularly call David asking him how her son was, and he'd say, I don't know. I only see him on television. All of that's sad. He wanted to play music at some of the Christian science churches in town, but he says they wouldn't hire him because he was black. He also says his church wouldn't let him marry a white woman that he was in a Christian rock band with. (laughs) Which one's... Okay, go ahead. No, no, it's the band. (laughs) It's just the band. That's it. It's not because you're black and she's white. It's just the band. He had been married once before, but she cheated on him, so they got divorced. He also tried to write hymns for his church, but they wouldn't accept them because they wanted traditional conservative Republican classical music. (laughs) I missed all those words. Did that spell white? Is that an acronym? (laughs) (laughs) W-H-I-T-E. Music. Despite all this, like I said, he's still very dedicated to Christian science because I strongly believe in their philosophy, even if they don't want me and they just want Val Kilmer. Isn't that all of our lives? I don't Aren't we always playing second fiddle to Val Kilmer? So as a source of income, David took to street performing, but he had a very specific act. Like I said, he'll sit there holding a very dirty looking puppet and sing never ending rhymeless songs with his fist over his mouth. Like, wah, 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 wah. That's, oh my God. that's what I'm not making fun of. Him. I know that's you're a, not making fun of like. it. He has puppets like Doug the dog, Rangy the rabbit, Jason the cat, and a ventriloquist dummy named Chip the black boy, who he considers to be his son. Chip one time got kidnapped and disappeared for years but was eventually found hanging from the ceiling of a restaurant across the street from Warner Brothers and someone bought it and brought it back to David. Here's the thing. He has a good voice, but there's there's absolutely no rhythm. And the songs just are not they're just kind of a long stream of words but he yeah. has a nice voice yeah he's talent no jazz the reason for the puppets is because he says he loved howdy doody as a kid and also he says jim henson was a teacher at his christian science sunday school before he was famous which could be he was yeah. christian science and after he died he said jim henson's ghost visited david and told him i want you to teach kids about christian science and i want you to do it on public access when you're a ghost you only get one phone call and that was his phone call <laughs> he got the message across. <laughs> and so began his local public access show, the Junior Christian Science Bible Lesson Show. He, he was later warned by the Christian Science Church that they didn't want to sound affiliated with the show, so he changed the name to the Junior Christian Teaching Bible Lesson Program. Okay, both names need a second draft. <laughs> this is not a man who does second drafts. <laughs> he claims it was helped funded by Audrey Meadows, who played Alice Crampton on The Honeymooners, oh, which is his funny. favorite show. That's funny. Yeah, you and him have a couple things in common now. I think we have a lot of things in common. The show was him sitting in 
front of a green screen with crazy images projected onto it with his dirty puppets singing insane songs about whatever he came up with for half an hour. Often with messages of not drinking and not doing drugs. That's He's, his Ally Meekly. You're him. You do the same thing here. We do the same thing. <laughs> oh, so you're the puppet. You're yeah. the <laughs> I'm, the, I'm the dirty puppet. <laughs> I'm your puppet. Clean me. <laughs> it was filmed in a studio in Inglewood starting in 1988 and he did over 12,000 shows over the next <laughs> 20 years. Serious? That's what we have to look forward to. We get to go to Inglewood. <laughs> he did this before Arnold Schwarzenegger, the guy who beat out Angeline for governor. He yeah. signed a bill to defund public access TV oh, yeah. in 2006. So by 2008, the show was over. That's why there's not too many public access shows anymore. But one door doesn't close in David's face without a window opening for him to fall through. Tim Heidecker and Eric Warheim <laughs> yeah. were fans of his public access show. And then when they got the Tim and Eric show on Adult Swim, they brought David on to sing a few songs on a few shows between 2007 and 2010. His very first song on there was called Salome, which brings us to a crucial point in the personality of David Liebhart, his unshakable belief in aliens. Oh, oh boy. Salome is the word a group of aliens called the Carinians used to say hello and goodbye. Originally, the song was completely in Carinian, but Tim and Eric said no. <laughs> so he redid it in English. How does David all know all this about the Carinians? He's been abducted by them. He oh claims he was abducted by them for two weeks in 1968, and they took blood and skin samples from him because he was the first black human that they had ever tested. But he says that that wasn't just a fluke. He believes the Carinians live among us. He thinks the Church of Christian Science has been infiltrated by them. But that wasn't even the only contact he's had with them. He says one day he was selling some of his paintings. He does paintings at the tar pits and a Carinian woman came up to him named Jezebel Borges. He said she looked like Betty Page as Wonder Woman with no pupils and to prove she was an alien she took off her shoe and her big toe was in the middle of her foot. So her true form was as a big bug and she told him that she was ready to step down from her post as an elder master on her planet to marry him on Corindor and he was willing but as he put it a little freaked out about her being an insect. He's getting cold feet. How do we raise our kids? However, this was another marriage that wasn't allowed because after she left, he said the other Carinians were jealous and he started getting threatening phone calls from Carinians saying that they didn't want an interracial marriage between a Carinian and an African-American human. He also got proposition for marriage by another Carinian on the Santa Monica Pier named Markama, who kept in touch with him via email. Unfortunately, this also didn't work out. She promised to marry and spend time with me. Then her ex-husband called me and said, that's not going to happen. <laughs> The enemies of the Carinians are the Omegans, who he says show up to a lot of his shows. <laughs> when his video of Salome was released on Tim and Eric, he says he was contacted by Jezebel's protector, Quizzlecoy, who said, we'd really appreciate you not using extraterrestrial language because we want our privacy and you've infringed on our privacy <laughs> by using the word Salome. But as David put it, the sad thing is that Warner Brothers owns the rights to that song. <laughs> <laughs> We're Warner Brothers. We own most of space. Yeah. I don't know if you know that. <laughs> the only thing David believes in more than Christian science and aliens is ghosts. He yeah. said as a kid he was haunted by a pet frog of his that died while he was on vacation. He also says as an adult he sees a ghost that sits in a chair in the corner of his room. He calls this ghost the pickle man. He's completely orange, not a traditional Caucasian ghost okay. and throws all of his clothes on the floor, puts too much food in his fish tank, quote, he takes out my toys and plays with them all and worst of all, tickles and licks him while he's in bed and then disappears before dawn under the rug. <laughs> and according to the never phased David, it was strange having a ghost lick me. Because of his success on Tim and Eric, he's been able to grow a pretty respectable fan base among the young drug-using demographic that that show is geared to. Okay, settle down. He's a right. drug, these Settled freaks, these down, sinners. Uh, where's David Monet? No. Or whatever his name. <laughs> Eddie Monet. <laughs> 
He's done a lot of concert tours, a few of with Tim and Eric themselves. He's starting a new tour this month. That the episode's oh, yeah? coming out. His band is the David Lieb Heart Band and has in the past been referred to as punk, but currently he's more electro pop, singing songs like No Sex Since 94 and I Caught My Pecker in My Zipper. <laughs> he even has a few albums recorded, which we can find on his website, artbyliebhart.com, along with some of his art and greeting cards. His website has his resume, where his hobbies include Puppet Collector. His phone number, email, and address are all on the website if you want to contact him to be on his podcast, Adventures with David, or to cast him in something with the caveat that you would be responsible for transporting him from and back to his home in East Hollywood, arriving on time and helping him not overstay his welcome and talk too much. (laughs) Now the big question with David, is he mentally sound? And I don't know. I'm not sure. And I think he is definitely high functioning and he has a pretty big awareness of what he is and what he does and what people think of him. But at the same time, he truly thinks he's going to marry an alien. Yeah. He knows crazy though when he sees it. Like he was asked about maybe skip out on Christian science. Why not join Scientology? And he immediately responded, Scientology is not a religion. It's a cult. So he's a like he's so he he doesn't know karate, but he knows crazy. Is what you're saying. (laughs) That's the tricky thing about him being on Tim and Eric and all that is it's never really clear whether people are enjoying him for him or if it's all ironic and they're just making fun of him. He was once on a pre-taped thing on The Daily Show and it was just making fun of him. So at the same time, is he Andy Kaufman or is he David? It's really hard to tell. One guy studied his music from the Public Access show and then his music on Tim and Eric and he found that when he got to Tim and Eric, his music style shifted to be purposely bad. So there's he knows what he's doing. But at the end of the day, he's David and he has his troubles. He has a home, but he's always playing on the street asking for money. He rides the bus. He's always asking for rides and sandwiches. His family's abandoned him. And if you noticed, all his stories end with something bad happening to him. <laughs> he recognizes a generation of young people like him, but like he says, my generation doesn't. <laughs> Here's what's sweet about him. I really like him. He's always optimistic and he always keeps going. I'm just going to stay focused and stay positive and know that the best is yet to come. He still performs every Sunday at the Fourth Church of Christ Scientist in Long Beach even after what the church has done to him. Mm -hmm. He says, don't take in the hatred of people that don't like you. Don't give up persevere. Walter Brennan told me in the 70s, follow your dreams and you'll be just as successful as me. Who is Walter Brennan? I have no idea. (laughs) He's a very peaceful and kind man. He loves trains. Oh, okay. That's, we got to it. He was sad about a falling out he had with the guy who repairs his model trains because he told me to shut up on the phone. (laughs) But he knows I just have to, I just have to swallow my spit and be grateful that I've at least made it. Meanwhile, he's still waiting for Jezebel and Quizzlecoy to take him back up to Rindor because he said they don't like the way I've been treated on Earth. He's still hoping for that love when you have chemistry with someone and it's more pure than crisp, fresh potato chips. I just want to feel like I belong. He's a sweet person, I think. Foolish hopefulness. All these people. All these people. All these people. But he, if you, I see him all the time and... I could call him right now, yeah, but like, I, I don't want to. But uh, he's a guy that literally I've seen my whole life. Yeah, it's weird. It is, and to know that he is a local celebrity, like his yeah. life is documented, and he's yeah, his videos on Tim and Eric are very funny. Are they? But it's uh, like I said, I know he has an awareness of yeah. what he's doing, but like how much of this is yeah, exploitative? Fun of, yeah, yeah, exactly. But 
It, it is funny. <laughs> it's a thin line between celebrating yeah. these people and making fun of these people. Tell me why so. Yeah. Tell me exactly. Tell yeah. me like the whole thing with Tom, when that movie came out a couple of years about ago yeah. about the room. I couldn't help thinking you all like this movie because it's bad and you like to make fun of it. And now you're and now you're making a movie making fun of this guy yeah. and he doesn't realize that or like he, or does he or, or like I don't I, know. Like, I have no idea. He must have not been aware when he was making the movie. But I don't know if he has been able to take a step back and be like, oh, I see why it's bad and. I, I get the joke I don't now. think he can though. Think, that's the thing yeah, I don't know if these people can that's look the back problem or is, take a step back yeah I, I, I can't step in someone else's head and be like you get it right yeah but that being said I like all these all the people yeah, like no. Criswell's a little weird he's a little iffy in like, terms of I like Criswell <laughs> I like him but him as a person I don't know I but am. Angeline I think is a very smart person mm-hmm. and David Liebhart I think is a very sweet person yeah same thing with Woodruff Woodruff is a very smart guy who's yeah. making art positive people and I make war Oh my God. The band War. Art. What is it good for? (laughs) Here's something that our art is good for a review on iTunes. (laughs) I did it. I still got it. Every month, I think I lose it, but I still you got still it. You still got it. Go on iTunes. If you have an iPhone, still on the podcast app, search for LA Meekly. Leave us a review or some stars, five stars. It's nice. Uh, it helps us get more spotlight on us, yes. reach more people so we can continue doing this show for you. Mm-hmm. And also, if you don't subscribe, you should subscribe because sometimes we have bonus episodes yeah. that come out in the middle of the month. So you don't have to just check back on the first of blank. <laughs> It'll come to you. We also have a Patreon page. If you want to financially support, find, yes. give us five financial stars, meaning dollars. <laughs> I call it Stars Dollar. For $5 a month, we can send you... Um, Handwritten postcard from us. Every single month, yeah. you will get one. From a different LA location, sometimes yeah. really cheesy, sometimes we'll, we'll spring a little sometimes money really into it. Sometimes really naughty. <laughs> And we're coming out with some new merchandise. Yes, I know we keep we, saying we that. We keep saying that. We should probably stop saying that. Yeah, but uh, we it's going to happen. Because we're not going to come out with it. So we should probably stop saying <laughs> We've it. We've been lying over and over again. I might need to stop saying that. We have a YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. If you don't like listening, I don't know how you're listening to this now, yeah. but if you don't like listening on iTunes or Stitcher or anything, go to the YouTube. There's, uh, You can watch that way. There's also some videos of our live shows and some commercials we've done and things like that. And we'll have this, the making of video that we are talking about. Yeah. That'll be on YouTube. And just to announce the show that we're both going to be on, we're going to be on a stand-up show called Townies on April 6th. That's Saturday for Saturday of April at Skip Town Playhouse, which is uh, it's Kevin Anderson, who's a very funny comedian from Bleak and Review. It's his show. We're going to be on it. Daniel yeah. Ross. So if you want to see us, we'd like to see some meeklings out there. Some comedy. Oh my God. I'm what stretching my comedy muscles oh right God. now. <laughs> punchline. <laughs> punchline. Garfield. <laughs> set up punchline. Set up punchline. <laughs> or long story, long story, no ending. Long story, long story, no ending. Set up, set up, set up, set up, set up. <laughs> set up, set up, set up, set up. Set up. And good night. <laughs> Follow Greg on Twitter. You can announce your Twitter. Since Greg you are started, now on Yeah, Twitter. Greg started a Twitter for me at DM Zafrin. Yeah, DM Zafrin. I haven't even put a picture yet. Maybe no, that'll you. be my thing. I don't have a picture. Yeah, that, that'll be your thing. Uh, <laughs> no one else does that. How about I have a picture of Pepe the Frog? Is that taken? <laughs> I just have a picture of a red hat. Twitter, I am Grego underscore Gonzo. And the podcast itself is at LA Meekly. Also on Instagram, LA underscore Meekly. We post pictures every day. Every day. You can go to our archive, lameekly.tumblr.com. You can send us an email, la.meekly at gmail.com. Any comments, suggestions, if you want to be a subject of a field trip episode where we go and interview you at a historic or significant place in the city. We would like to talk we to you. We will do that. <laughs> Salome, Salome, Salome. Salome, I am saying hello and goodbye. Aloha of space. So any closing thoughts here, Grudge? Uh, I, I really liked doing research and hearing about these people because it, it's not like 
epic failures of Los <laughs> Angeles or like it's microscopic things of Los Angeles, but they still somehow sum up the city so well. Yeah, that is weird that every one we looked into is like, oh, you're an epitome. Yeah, yeah. If you're, <laughs> yeah, yeah. In so many small ways, like of just like the connections you make when you were in LA between like Ed Wood or Robin Williams or Vampira right. or your your grandpa helped build Supposedly. a Hollywood sign. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> just connective tissue to everything. And as small fish and yeah. not as successful as you see, like how many of you are exactly. have articles written by LA Magazine yeah. about you. I mean, us, plenty. But <laughs> I mean, we can't between stop. Between of you, the peons, they're successes in their own way. Yeah. And- uh, they're nice. And they're nice. Mostly for nice people. A small podcast among hundreds of thousands of other podcasts. We, that's all we, we can, can hope appreciate. for. <laughs> is a, being, you know. All we can hope for is that these people we talked about tonight get lucrative sponsorship <laughs> deals. <laughs> Pepsi Cola, RC Cola sponsoring us. RC Ebola. <laughs> we can't even get Cola to sponsor us. We we're sponsored by Ebola. <laughs> well, that's been yet another episode of LA Meekly. I predict that in the year 2013, a podcast will start called LA Meekly. Since 2013. Kennedy's dead. <laughs> what? What? <laughs>